This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back with part eight of our Penny Dreadful retrospective, talking about season three, episodes seven to nine. Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful Season 3, Episodes 7 to 9, the eighth and final part in our retrospective series on Penny Dreadful, leading into the release of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. I am one of your other horrific hosts, uh, John. <laughs> not that horrific. No, I'm not that horrific. No, no. I'm actually quite a nice guy in real yeah. life. And I know we don't do a video podcast, but you're definitely not horrific. No, exactly. <laughs> I don't look like the creature. Oh, poor John Clare. I know. <laughs> he also doesn't look that horrific. He gets a nice hairdo this time after a couple of years of not seeing her. And you notice that he's really kind of... Getting himself done up to revisit his wife for the but first time. Definitely. <laughs> and of course, with growing his hair out long, then he can always comb it over so it hides the the kind of more damaged side of his face. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> We're going to jump in with our discussion about Ebb Tide, the seventh episode of season three. As you know, we've been releasing these episodes over on Patreon feed first, and then releasing each individual episode over on dreadfulpodcast.com, our podcast all about Penny Dreadful, everything over there. And then the full discussions in each of our big parts where we talk about episodes 7 through to 9 we're releasing on tvpodcastindustries.com, the home for all of our podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us throughout this run-through of uh, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, definitely. And thanks for all the support. It's it's really been good uh, re-watching these, these uh, episodes. Mm. And uh, sure, it's kind of a labor of love as well, I think. Yeah. Um, but it is all with the lead up to Penny Dreadful City of Angels out on the 26th of April. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how that sort of um, takes forward uh, the concepts from Penny Dreadful, uh, these original three seasons. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it's going to be very different, but uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to getting into that. And of course, with the current COVID crisis, <laughs> um, I suppose it's one of the few sort of uh, productions that were in the bag ready to go so it is sticking to its schedule uh, mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff that uh, certainly that we will be covering this year is going to be delayed yeah. through uh the production issues um and the the requirement to you know socially distance uh one another from each other um i <laughs> got a little confused there yeah to right. social distance effectively yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah it's uh it, it's good that this was in the bag, and um, we can kick on with City of Angels when yeah. it comes out uh, towards the end of April. Exactly, exactly. Now, I, this is kind of the first retrospective series that we've done, isn't it? We did um, Angel Carter, I think, after the first full season had aired, but we'd never done a series like this where we'd gone back through three full seasons of the show and gone through every episode. So a big undertaking to go through it. So once again, thank you to our patrons for all of our support and all of our wonderful listeners for listening along with these episodes. I hope you've enjoyed uh, going back to, I suppose, one of the seminal uh, horror series 
that yeah, have been released. So, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think as well for all of those people who maybe didn't ever consider Penny Dreadful on their radar that they have decided they would give it a go, give mm-hmm. it a watch and hopefully have enjoyed this, the series, um, at least however far they got into it and have enjoyed the, the discussion podcasts that go with it. Yeah. Um, and maybe our, considering city of angels um which they may not have done previously okay. uh, but certainly it'll be new episodes um to be released so yes enough of the um football rewatch uh yep. the rugby union rewatches <laughs> yep. um yes all, all the repeats that are happening i think i've seen red 2 the movie uh, as well as Sausage Party, the movie, <laughs> and I think there was another one as well. I I think they have just been on constantly on some of the uh, network yeah. cable uh, channels uh, of late, yeah. and it, it does feel like uh, being caught in Groundhog's Day a bit. It does make it even worse, isn't it? Because you don't know when what day is Tuesday, and then the same movie that you're watching on Tuesday is back on TV on Thursday or Friday, so you're completely confused as to what's going on. Yeah, definitely. So we should celebrate new work, mm-hmm. new releases coming out during this time. Absolutely. Uh, given that they may get fewer and farther between, depending on how long this this continues. Exactly. Exactly. Let's get into our discussion about episode seven, Ebb Tide. The episode was directed once again by Paco Cabezas and written by showrunner John Logan with staff writers Andrew Hinderaker and Christy Wilson-Cairns uh, all involved in previous episodes of this season of the show and the future episodes of the final season of Penny Dreadful. John, do you want to give us the summary for this episode of Penny Dreadful? Sure. Kayetne has visions of Vanessa in danger, which prompts Sir Malcolm and Ethan to travel back to London. The creature returns to his wife, Marjorie, and son on the advice of Vanessa. Lily sends her assembled army of women out to kill, which disturbs Dorian. Meanwhile, Catriona Hartigan helps Vanessa discover that Dracula's identity is Dr. Sweet and tells her he can be killed when he is in human form. The disturbed Dorian delivers Lily to Victor so that he can administer the serum he has been working on with Dr. Jekyll. As night falls, Vanessa confronts Dr. Sweet at the Natural History Museum, but he convinces her to join him and she succumbs to his bite. Yes, a pretty shocking ending to Ebtide. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. In many ways, um, really interesting thing. It, it, it really did feel as though Vanessa was just like, I am sick to death of this mouse, cat and mouse chase now mm. at this stage. Um, or it, it's, you know, we, we've seen her power with the Verbus Diablo against the witches. We saw her using it again in the flashback episode, A Blade of Grass. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is this darkness within her that seemingly, um, you know, she is aligned to the light side, if you will, to God, it feels. To, she's connected to that religion, yet mm-hmm. it's as though she is a vessel for evil that is used by the forces of good in yeah. a sense to attack the forces of darkness. And, uh, but it, it seems as though maybe it's been too much for her body, her mind, the effort to, uh, contain this, to be subjected to these attacks. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like a sigh of, of relief. And yeah. um, however, despite that, there was also, um, an earlier, meeting between her and uh, Dr. Hartigan, where 
I felt, you know, uh, Catriona Hartigan says uh, it's not the time for a warrior mm-hmm. um, like myself, that it, it's more like you need to be a spy to mm-hmm. infiltrate. It felt like she was going down this route um, to infiltrate into uh, Dracula's nest and den so that she can effectively destroy it from within i felt as well and so not just simply oh let's get this over and done with kind of thing but Mm -hmm. it felt like it was a a strategy of hers as well yeah yeah i had commented before that the offer that was coming from lucifer and dracula where they were saying to her you know stand by my side and we will purge the earth effectively of humans uh, those offers felt like they were very odd because it didn't feel like Vanessa would be the type of person that would align themselves with somebody that was going to burn down the earth and kill all the humans. I kind of liked Dr. Sweet's offer to her in this episode, which was everybody in the past has wanted you to be something that you're not, to force yourself to be good, to force yourself to be this kind, polite, yeah. kind of bidden woman standing by the side of other people. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to live the way you want to live and I will support you. And it felt like a completely different offer almost. And it felt like something that Vanessa would kind of go, actually, I've been fighting for 25 years here to be what everybody else wants me to be. I can be myself with this guy. It almost did feel like a proper acceptance uh, of the offer here, which made more sense as we got to the end of this season than I thought it would actually uh, first time around. But let's get into our big moments from the episode. As you know, we choose a moment that we want to talk about that kind of speaks to the overall arching storyline of the season and the big thing that stands out to us from the episodes. John, do you want to kick us off with your big moment from episode seven? Yes, uh, I'll start it with a quote. You are a great fertile bitch of evil. <laughs> um, yes, Kaetne of the Hills, to give him his full title, mm-hmm. uh, connects through the spiritual world again on the boat uh, back to London uh, to connect with and visit uh, Vanessa. And I just thought this was really nicely done. Um, I love the fact that we see Vanessa in Sam Alcom's house in the study and she senses that there is a spiritual presence there mm-hmm. and looks around, there's no one, turns around again and there is Katni. And I love this interaction uh, between the two and I thought it was really nicely done. I love that in Katni's foretelling, he effectively describes not only the dragon, he knows of this dragon that um, Katrina Hartigan had previously revealed uh, one of the names by which Dracula goes by. Mm-hmm. But in in his conversation with her, he describes, um, you know, the, the night that Vanessa seems to have had previously with Dr. Alexander Sweet um, and her unknown but willing embrace of her adversary um here uh the master and i i love that you know he talks about being surrounded by night crawlers gathering uh, around you and and that these creatures this surrounding makes you drunk with love uh, but don't be deceived they are false lovers mm-hmm. um at, at speaking of the the love scene with uh, the master because at that moment she doesn't know she didn't know that it was um dracula right. her adversary basically so i i really like this i mean he doesn't effectively tell her but it is coded speak to her saying uh, be wary of this and i think it's it's probably a nice thing that in her then later meeting with Catriona where it the, the penny finally drops that part of this um connection the spiritual connection that Katni uh, had with Vanessa um was part of 
part of the thing that helped her to make those uh, and connect those dots. I think Kayetni as well kind of brings that duality uh, about Vanessa as he's speaking to her. You know, you were made for the day, Vanessa, not the night. It's mm-hmm. that hopeful side. And yet he also says you're the the woman of all our dreams and night terrors. You know, that if she goes willingly, um, then we're all knackered, basically. <laughs> uh, we're, we're doomed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he comes out of this uh, informing Ethan and some Malcolm that she is halfway his already. We get that great moment where her eyes go red in, in that spiritual connection that they have. Yeah. So, again, I, I just thought this was really nicely done. I, I've loved all these moments with Kenny where he goes into that spiritual world. It, it's really uh, great stuff uh, mm-hmm. for me. I really like actually that they use the Native American language here, the Apache, for him and Ethan to have their conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really uh, nicely done. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's great little touches like that. You know, they don't need to do that. Uh, but I think it really adds something to then the connection between Ethan and Kaitney as yeah. well, even though, you know, it, it's not necessarily the most straightforward of um, relationships that these no, two have. No, uh, but certainly uh, I, I like that um, connection. So again, this was just really nice. And I liked how it sort of uh, foretold the penny dropping with Vanessa. It, it it reveals that moment where she gives herself willingly to the master whilst unknown that he is Dracula. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I do love that conversation between Ethan and Katney, where Ethan is kind of saying, I'm going back to London now, I'm done, I've had all my fill of, of Americans and everything that's happened over there with his family, and he's finally saying, I'm going back over there. Um, and he says his family's dead, his tribe is dead, and his real tribe now is his family over in England. Um, I, I love the discussion because it ends with effectively Katney saying to him, you may think you're done, but your job here is to fight off all of the darkness and all the demons, your job won't be done until all of the demons are gone. He has that vision of Ethan returning to uh, London and meeting Vanessa. And we have that great shock moment as the, as the vampires are cracking through the windows of the house uh, where Malcolm lived. Um, Exactly. It's a really, really good, good moment between the two of them. Um, And again, showing the foretelling of what Ethan is supposed to do. He's not supposed to live out a good life with a with a good woman he's supposed to battle the demons until the demons are gone or he is yeah and it's really one of those things where you know we we learn a little bit more about these two where Ketney is saying you know i have claimed you as my own Mm -hmm. um you are an apache Uh, and i think this is is a really it's that nice touch they're not blood um relatives but there is a connection there and Mm. and i think as we move forward through these episodes we certainly get that hint of of, of what that is in a really uh cool way for me so i yeah i i I really like this um this connection here Mm. i I also like uh, i have to bring it up the that renfield almost gets in a sneaky little snack uh, of on vanessa Mm -hmm. until um dracula uh kind of intervenes uh to say uh uh, not on my watch she's all 
my snacks, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. I was laughing because uh, in the last episode, you discussed about the fact that after Dr. Sweet and Vanessa had had sex in the Natural History Museum, that maybe one of the co-workers might arrive the following morning and it wouldn't be very good for uh, for Dracula. Turns out it's Renfield that turns up. But he does mention it, doesn't he? Dr. Sweet actually says, you know, I've got some tea downstairs. We better make ourselves scarce yeah, before exactly. the other employees arrive in. So uh, good call, John. Yeah, definitely. Oh. <laughs> Derek, what's your big moment of episode seven? Um, I I think there's a big choice between one or or, or the other on this yeah. one. Um, but I think Dorian's story with Lily is going to come into the next episode. So I'm going to talk about that notes this time because there's some big moments in there. One that I particularly wanted to talk about in this episode was John Clare returning to his family. Partly because it did answer the question that I had last episode about the flashback where um John Clare actually had been an attendant to Vanessa while she was in uh, while she was in the Banning Clinic and I'd wondered whether she remembered or or knew that John Clare was the same person as the attendant. So I was quite happy really that there's they have this wonderfully poignant discussion between Vanessa and John Clare where he's yeah. thinking about maybe going back to his wife but knowing that she may reject him just like his son did when he saw what he looked like. I thought it was a beautiful discussion between the two of them where Vanessa questions whether he remembers being the orderly um, and says to him, you know, I personally think that the man who took care of me deserves to be loved. He was a beautiful man yeah. and I'd never been treated as well as someone like him. I fell in love with him. And if your wife loves you as much as I did, the attendant or the orderly, then you should go back to her. I think it's a, a lovely kind of wrapping up of what's happened with the monster for, for so many seasons. He's been trying to find his place. And he's been basically given permission from Vanessa to go and refind his place with his family. Yeah, I, I like the fact that she says, well, what harm can it do? You feel so sort of devoid yeah. of any attachment uh, other than her and and him. Mm -hmm. uh, then make that bold move. Just ask. You've got nothing further to lose. If she rejects you, then you stay the same where you are. Yeah. If she accepts you, then... Things have changed for the better. Exactly. So make that bold move. I really like that. Um, I also thought it was really nice in that it felt connected to the previous episode of with, with Dr. Seawood saying, you know, you need to surround yourself with friends mm. um, and Katrina Hartigan as well. So, you know, that whole idea that Dracula uh, predates um, on the solitary, tries to isolate you. And in effect, too late, she's gone to the right friend, uh, which is John Clare. Uh, he is the right friend at this time that she should have gone to. Um, and instead, she went to someone who she didn't know for as long and mm -hmm. ultimately is the devil in disguise. Uh, and so I, I really kind of liked that element of this as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That would have been the right person to go to. We've said, you know, Dr. Seward probably gave good advice, but sent her on the wrong path by her going to Dr. Sweet, you know. Uh, but what I did like about the scene is that we do get the follow-up. We get John Clare going back to Marjorie, his wife. Um, and I love that he tells her the entire story. You get snippets of it from the discussion, but you know that he's told Marjorie the entire story about him not being a willing participant and being brought back to life. He says to her that uh, he's walked in dar darkness and can never be the same person. Yeah. He is a completely different person than she knew in the past, but he still wants to reconnect with her yeah. and, this, and his son Jack. Um, and then a beautiful moment as he's reintroduced by Marjorie to their son Jack, preparing him for how terrifying the moment might be. And as John Clare slowly reintroduces himself to Jack. 
um, we get that lovely moment where Jack touches his hand and then gives him a hug, realizing it is still his father. You know, I think it's a, a lovely, poignant uh, scene that we have here with with John Clare and, and the family reunited. Yeah, th- these are really touching and, and they're so well played mm. um, because you are John Clare's had this rejection all his life mm-hmm. um, and you are wondering what's his wife going to do. But I, I, I love the fact that, you know, she hugs him yeah. and he and she's accepting it's really touching and then to to top it all off you know previously when his um his son jack saw his dad he screamed yeah uh but this time jack just comes in and touches his hand uh, and they hug um I just thought this was so, so good because mm-hmm. John Clare has had rejection after rejection after rejection, um, after betrayal effectively, uh, in, in all his time as, uh, the creature as he's after being reanimated by Victor. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Vanessa and here, the, the people who, you know, were his past are, are willing to be their future, even though with with Jack's situation having um the the cough, you suspect it's not going to be for very long. Oh, yeah. So even in that, there is some tragedy for poor John Clare. Mm-hmm. But he um, wants to be by his boy's side, yeah. you know, and anything he can do to to help him out, he wants to be there for him. We we saw that even when his son was screaming when he saw him for the first time, he was saying, "I will steal medicine if it keeps you uh, maintained." You know, um. Very importantly, you need to underline here that Marjorie's reaction to his full story, even though he's told him, told her about all of the pain that he's gone through, her reaction is praise for Victor Frankenstein for bringing him back to their family. Um, and he's, he's kind of shocked at the idea that she would praise him. But of course she would, because he's alive and back to her now and life will be better with, yeah. with John Clare at her side. But I, I thought it was quite interesting, the reaction of him kind of going, but you don't understand, he's an abomination he and he made me into a monster the person that you see before you is a monster and i've had to live with this and being unable to return to you and she just kind of says well yeah i don't care you're back so victor is a god to me almost you know victor someone to be thanked for what he's done uh so just an interesting point to close off yeah absolutely moment. and i mean that that little snippet has a consequence uh, in the final episode yeah. and uh yeah it's it's a really interesting thing because it ultimately um reverses um all that rejection that John Clare has had in the past where mm-hmm. he has to make the choice of rejection yeah um so it, it is a a very important moment um in in, in this episode where she almost effuses about Victor in what he's been able to do and mm-hmm. thanks him for it. So, yeah, really, really interesting That's stuff. Right. I suppose Victor effectively is getting the praise that he always expected to get for, yeah. for piercing the veil between life and death, I suppose. So even though he's not there, he is getting praised from someone for his work. Yeah, um, That's my major note, but it is our podcast. We can choose to talk about another note. And we, I think we should. Yes, we have to, I think, um, for sure. Which really is... And I will fix this in post. Don't worry, John. Dorian is a f***ing isn't he? Yes, he is. Um, Dorian is at his most dangerous when he gets bored. And, uh, you know, he is getting very, very bored of Lily and her girls Mm. um, and, and what they ultimately want to do. And I think it gets teased out over the next few episodes. But this is kind of the the start of it here yeah um you know in fact 
she even asks him after um, he, he's arranged for her to be kidnapped by Victor and Dr. Jekyll. Um, you know, she asks him, Lily, uh, are you jealous? And he goes, no, I'm bored. Um, that's his response to Lily. Mm. And, um, you know, quite rightly, she's massively angry. I, I think the really interesting thing here is just the uh, the, the the words that come from Dorian and effectively the sentiment of Dr. Jekyll as well as Victor Frankenstein at this time uh, were, we're going to make you into a proper woman. Mm. It, it really is that misogyny of saying, we know how women should be. This is what you will become to fit our view what you are is something that doesn't fit our own perception of how women should be um, and yeah. th- this this strong woman fueled by her pain of her past that has made her the person who she is and who wants to hold on to that because she realizes the importance of it being the the trials the tribulations that have brought her to this point where Mm. she knows herself knows who she is what she wants to be and how she wants to behave and what's added to that is you know a very striking image at the start with lily at a cemetery commenting on a lady burying um her her baby uh, to find that she too had lost a child early uh whilst still under one year of age and she was visiting uh, her daughter's grave mm-hmm. and this also um is, is something that we didn't know about while she was broner yeah but over the course of the next few episodes you know in in this confined forced place that she's been brought to by dorian and which Dr. Jekyll and Victor are, are impressing their own, um, knowledge and process on her with this serum yeah. to change her i have to say i um, love that line in the cemetery when she's talking to the woman and saying to her the day a good woman will have to suffer the indignity of a starved child is almost over uh, taking it away from what's actually on the screen and what we're seeing and what's being said by dorian he's scared he's scared of what power Lily has been able to surround herself with. He's certainly, I know he's saying to her that he's bored and he probably is a little bit bored of what's going on and a little bit bored of supporting these women that are going out and doing things in the city. But I think he sees the tide turning. Like he says it and that's the name of the episode is Ebb Tide. His line to her is, we're at the Ebb Tide. One of us needs to change their ways and it will be you, not me. Um, because I think he's scared. He's, he's yeah. surra- you know, he's, he's in that house with all of the women who are there eating and feasting and partying effectively in the house all together, feeling powerful. And when he goes to approach Lily for, you know, some kind of comfort or some kind of, uh, some of their relationship that they've had before, she turns him away because she wants to care for another one of the women that needs her help. And he feels completely left out of it and is confronted by Justine in one of my favorite moments of season three. Um, That moment when you have Justine feeling epically confident in the face of Dorian and Dorian saying to Justine, you think, you know, sin, you're just learning the language. I wrote the book on it. And she responding to him with, you know, there's a day your charm won't be enough. Uh, You wanted to kill her and you got her, you know, Um, they're having this battle of wills between the two of them. Uh, And it it ends with that wonderful line from Dorian with the you want to play with me, kitten, then show me your claws, Um, where you know that it's going to come down to a battle between Dorian and Justine. And if Lily's around, likely Justine will be be protected from Dorian. So while it's while it's not something that he's saying 
outright in the storyline and not something that he's actually saying when asked by Lily, he's saying, I'm bored. I wanted you to be better than this. He actually feels like he's just a scared child being overrun by these powerful women who he's allowed to enter his home. And the only way he can fix that is by kicking out Lily and kicking out all of that. I, I think he's both. Um, and I only say that having watched episode nine mm. as well, I actually think he's both. I, th- I think you see the boredom when you have Lily recounting the Keen tradition from um, from Ireland yeah. with uh, and, and the, the story of the women being sort of persecuted by the church, but going to their deaths still keening um, and using their tradition so that it lives on uh, and it is immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to him is, is boredom. And I think we get the sense that, you know, he's lived through p- potential uh, revolutions mm-hmm. in the past and he just sees another one here and maybe he feels it's just not going to um be successful yeah uh, so there's a boredom there in terms of this i suppose endless cycle that dorian feels maybe he's going through i think we've talked many times about the idea that people justify themselves as the hero of their own story and um, what he's listening to is hearing the story of these women rising up together uh, saying that they will sing as they are put to death for the things they're going to do and the instructions that are coming from lily to the to the gang of women are effectively describing dorian they're saying go out and find a bad man absolutely go out and find somebody that's cheating on their wife go out and find somebody that's whoring around the city that is uh, treating women badly and bring me his right hand. You know, she's sending them all out. And you can see it in Dorian's face. He's going, how quickly is it going to turn to bring me Dorian's head? Exactly. You know? and uh, But that's what I mean. I got... Like I was going to say, but he is also threatened personally mm-hmm. with Justine. He sees someone who uh, he, you know, is this acolyte of Lily. Yeah. And it's that moment where Lily decides maybe that he is dispensable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, it's also about self-preservation for himself. Yeah. Uh, whether they could kill him, I don't know. Um, I suspect unless they know about the painting, mm-hmm. then he would probably be able to soak up a lot of damage um from from uh the combined attack by yeah. by all these women but um yes I, and i i think yes seeing um dorian's dining table centerpiece take a very dark turn you know the bowl of fruit replaced by the the mound of right hands right from hands, the yeah. the men i yes he is threatened and frightened as well mm-hmm. absolutely actually we never really spoke about the power that he has remember he did have his ear grow back <laughs> he does he does look pristine now so yes if he had his right iron taken or his right hand taken most likely that would grow back right yeah exactly <laughs> that's kind of it for that discussion because we will be talking more about dorian and uh and lily and the story of victor as well uh, as we go on through the rest of the episodes any other notes from this episode you want to talk about it's though? just the conversation between katrina harsigen and, and vanessa mm. where katrina is is discussing that dracula with with Vanessa mm-hmm. uh, and Vanessa has been reading all the tales and and so on and Katrina just goes these were done by small-minded peasants and yeah. poets and theologians uh, they made stuff up to fit their own fears mm-hmm. uh, you might as well read the bible for its history like an idiot child <laughs> um but despite that she does say that some of the superstition correlates or you know it, it is repeated uh, and it is the one where he dwells in the house of night creature is the moment that the penny drops for Vanessa, mm-hmm. uh, realizing that Dr. Sweet, um, 
is is this master who has been stalking her and and makes her go uh to the natural history museum yeah um and uh you you get that great line then as vanessa gives herself or gives her neck to uh dr sweet uh dare i say it vanessa gets a nosh <laughs> um and do you accept me he says and she goes i accept myself yeah um and so it is almost about herself her her sort of submission yeah. to uh, dracula at this point which yeah. i think is really interesting yeah i know we've talked a couple of times about you know my love of the idea of vampires and how they're treated in different mediums and that kind of stuff and it has always struck me i think we've talked about this before and i can't remember whether it was something we talked about on the podcast maybe in season one when they had the vampires and it is that concept that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way with some tellings of the vampire tales where you know they can't cross across the threshold without being invited into a house or they can't be seen in mirrors or a cross on them burns them or um or they can't be seen in daylight that kind of stuff where you're kind of going yeah, but that, would that make sense if you were to have it in the real world? You know, all of those failings, would that not mean that they could be easily trapped and easily killed? You know, the more of them that are layered on top of each other, yeah. it always felt like, oh, well, you know, you've got seven things here that, that a vampire can't do. Well, how does he pass for human and get his victims then? Because I, So I love that about Katrina where she's going, yeah, but these are made up by people who are hoping that these are the things that could stop the vampire, but no real truth in there. Yeah, exactly. It, it was great. You know, she dispels garlic. She dispels the cross. She mm-hmm. dispels, um, the, the reflection, the day walking yeah. and all this kind of thing. And uh, in that sense, it, it, it's really, really good. Yeah. And it was season one where we talk about this because it was, it was because the master in the first season came in through her window without being invited in, in to yeah. the, into the place. So that's where we had the discussion. Um, one touch I also liked in the episode that I thought was really interesting was before, Vanessa goes to to meet Dr. Sweet. She touches the wall where the cross used to be uh, before leaving the house. Yeah. Uh, she just thought it was a nice little touch back and a reference. If you've seen every episode and remember every moment of every episode, you'd notice it. But you may not because it's not like there's a mark of the cross on the wall or anything like that. She just touches the wall where the cross used to be. She just thought it was a nice touch for her. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's the discussion about yeah. Ebtide. Nice little episode. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, really interesting. Now let us ebb our way into episode eight. Absolutely. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment to discuss episode eight of season three of Penny Dreadful, Perpetual Night. Hi, I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honoring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your conchu on. Welcome back, Penny Faithful, for the penultimate time. For the second last episode of Penny Dreadful Season 3, we're talking about Episode 8, Perpetual Night. I'm still one of your hosts, Derek. Yes, and I am still in human form as one of your other hosts, John. Welcome, <laughs> fellow Darklings and uh, Nightcomers. Mm. Uh, indeed, yes, this is Perpetual Night. And dare I say it, London really has gone to shit. It really um, has. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that they would literally 
turn it into sort of hell on earth. Mm. And there was part of me wondering whether it was just, you know, that kind of pea super. It was just that um, industrial landscape. That's what they were trying to reference. But mm-hmm. I, I think here it really is about the end of days has been talked about. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was quite a bold and good choice yeah. to to go down that route rather than to simply have it fobbed off as um sort of the industrial pea super uh with the fog and the smoke yeah. and all of that making it the streets uh, as, as bad as it was even though that did happen so it's a, it's a nice reference to that as well but mm-hmm. yeah it, this is really indicating that yes it is coming to pass the the prophecy effectively, mm-hmm. which exactly. I thought was really good. Exactly, yes, something to reference as well as we get into these final two episodes, this penultimate episode and the last one. Um, these were originally aired as one two-hour block when they aired uh, on Sky Atlantic at the time and on um, Showtime when they were aired originally. Uh, we're going to talk them as, about them as two separate episodes, episode eight followed by episode nine, because that's the way we've been doing the entire series. And also on the DVD, they are cut and separated. And I thought it was kind of sad. And episode nine started with a song instead of the theme tune because originally they were put together as one episode. So you wouldn't have had a theme tune in between the two. But I was kind of expecting the theme tune to come in at the start of episode nine. And when it didn't, I was really surprised. <laughs> I was kind of yeah. like, oh, oh, so the last time we heard that beautiful theme tune uh, that we've been listening to for all 24 of 26 of these episodes since the beginning was an episode eight, not an episode nine. I was just really surprised by it. Yeah, it, it was... Uh... It was a bit of a shock, yeah, mm. but uh, it was a great little tune to it is, yeah. open it up yeah. uh, for episode nine, uh, for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, the theme tune itself is great, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it was interesting to have that variation. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you wouldn't have gotten that when it was aired originally. Exactly, exactly. A lot of story in the last two hours as well. A lot of things wrapped up over the course of these two hours. And I'm not sure we the way we watched it was we watched one episode one night and one episode the next night. So I'm not sure watching it because I think at the time when we watched it on television, we did watch both episodes back to back but so much is crammed into the last episodes to close off this season i think it works better as having it on two separate nights just to take it all in i do but i also think it's slightly asymmetrical Mm. uh, in terms of the two i certainly didn't take as many notes uh, for episode eight right and i think maybe because if it was running into episode nine ultimately um as one big two hour episode mm-hmm. it, it's a different thing um so in in that sense you know if you take it as a whole it does build up but yeah. I, I noticed i really was quite sparse on my notes really mm-hmm. for um episode eight and yeah. i think mainly it's because y- you've got everyone coming back together again so it's a little with sir malcolm and ethan coming back to london this time Mm -hmm. with ketney that it's re-establishing them back into london uh, a bit and and catching up with the events that have unfolded in their absence i'm so glad this has worked out this way because i remember saying it back in episode six as we were recording it the parts that we've been recording i was wondering whether they just you know hop on a boat and get back to london to help out vanessa towards the end and of course they would that makes sense in your final season you can't have your characters separated for the whole season season but it did take one extra episode and they're back and it does show the passage of time uh, in this episode so let's get into our discussions about it so we can go into our big moments about the episode Uh, episode once again directed by damon thomas who returns after uh, after the previous episodes he'd done i think he's done five episodes of uh, of penny dreadful overall and this time the episode was written by christy wilson cairns the other staff writer uh, that came on board for season three um john do you want to give us the summary for this episode sure 
So Malcolm, Ethan and Ketney arrive in London to find the streets deserted and falling under the influence of darkness. Katriona helps save them when they are attacked by vampires at Smalcom's home. She tells them that the end of days is coming and that Vanessa is the only one who can stop it. Dorian dismisses Lily's army and then kills Justine. <sighs> Lily reveals a secret from her past to Victor, who releases her without administering the serum. Dr. Seward discovers Renfield is working for Dracula, and Ethan is attacked by vampires in the deserted streets of London as Kearney reveals his true self. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Kawulfane, I think I was calling him uh, by the end of the I episode. think so. Or, dare I say it, the silver fox. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. John, what is your big moment from the penultimate episode of Penny Dreadful? I think it is the boys are back in town uh, in that sense, mm-hmm. and... London, as I've said before, going to shit, really. I, I really like the the atmosphere that's created with this pea super uh, that is shrouding the city. Mm-hmm. The streets are deserted. Uh, there's plagues of rats as Sir Malcolm, Ethan and Ketney arrive back in London and get off the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're told to get back on the ship and go back to wherever they came from because London has just um, fallen. Um, and you have the the frogs coming up from the the sewers uh, through the, the pipe work. Yeah. Uh, I really like that where, uh, as Dr. Seward uh sees that Renfield is listening in on her confidential um, drums uh, and the recordings of her uh, consultations with Vanessa, Mm -hmm. um, and she realises that he is working for Dracula. Um, You see him with a frog on the desk, Mm -hmm. and he's really descended into um, sort of the the black veins around his eyes, the Mm -hmm. red eye, um, the paler complexion. You know, she, she said in the last episode, are you unwell mm-hmm. um and he, you know I, i'm really enjoying renfield and dr seawood um i have to say mm-hmm. uh, but here uh, she confronts him <laughs> but he does um obviously like frog's legs um as he mm. devours this frog but ultimately at least frog's um yeah. as yeah, exactly but as dr seawood kind of knocks him out uh, with with the ashtray who says smoking's bad for you um <laughs> it saved her life anyway uh-huh. uh, then uh you see all the frogs coming up through uh the sink um into her her office yeah. so you, you really get the sense of these almost these biblical plagues yes. you know you expect locusts to kind of swarm in <laughs> at, at some point um We've we've had the rats and the frogs, uh, so it, yeah, yeah. The, these night creatures. I do love uh, just after he bites into the frog, he kind of says, um, "Redfield says, I guess we should take this as my resignation <laughs> yeah. as well." And I love again as she does beat him to the ground and get out of the room. You know, it, she he's saying to her, "I know you don't have the heart to uh, to beat me. I know you can't beat me," kind of thing. And he's and he should have listened to more of the tapes because <laughs> yeah. she is a murderer, right? Yes, so, exactly. Uh, so I do I do like those that kind of interplay between the two now. I said this to John while I was watching the episode that I don't know why, but in my head, you know, when the the prophecy that was out there of when Vanessa joins up with Dracula, uh, the night creatures would take over London. I don't know why, but I was thinking much more supernatural creatures than, you know, 
actual bats and rats and frogs will take over you know the the animals that live during the nighttime you know are there more owls in the city of london now is that, is that the kind of thing that's going on and that's exactly what it is it's all of the creatures that come out at night now take over london because london is like night all the time i think i was just more expecting you know roaming vampires and uh, and zombies and uh, mummies and um, werewolves and that kind of stuff you know all those supernatural creatures would now take over the city but they actually meant creatures that live at night yeah and i suppose from uh, the episode of blade of grass mm. it is that dracula is the master of these creatures yeah. um and it, i suppose it has a more biblical tone to it with mm -hmm. that who knows though maybe in egypt it is mummies that come out maybe. mainly uh maybe it's werewolves and coyotes and so on in in north america maybe, yeah, yeah. so yeah who, who knows but uh but certainly i, I really like this and you know some alcum ethan and Ketney have come back to a very very different city and not only have they come back to a different city but they've come back to a different uh samalcan residence where they're attacked i mean mm -hmm. we have that fairly disturbing image of the 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 dog on a butcher's hook hanging up in vanessa's uh bedroom and you you have uh dracula's familiars that have sort of moved on into samalcan's uh house so mm -hmm. that the, you have this huge fight uh here when you have catriona hartigan uh, coming to the rescue, but mm -hmm. Smalcom is bitten, and this is kind of the jump-off point to get Victor back in. Um, but ultimately, uh, he is saved with a, a quick, uh, quick thinking from uh, Doctor Hartigan with uh, cauterization of, of the wound. But mm -hmm. I, I like that she kind of fills uh, Smalcom in with what's been going on. Uh, although I, I, I like the fact that he does say. What are you doing in my house? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is a strange woman who comes to the rescue to help um, them kill the familiars that are rampaging through the house trying to kill them. Mm -hmm. But uh, ultimately, you know, Catriona Hartigan then does say this is the end of days. She informs how she's been helping Vanessa, has been put in touch here, um, and, and that she effectively becomes part of the company that comes back together here yeah. uh which i i really like um and does so she mention to them at all that that it's mr lyle that put them in contact no. i felt that that would have been a really easy line to say yeah it's it's a shame ferdinand lyle has left the country yeah i've been put in contact with nessa because of my experience you know yeah at it, least it, there's a connection to the company exactly there. <laughs> it would have been nice that i think yeah. um but uh, no, she she doesn't. But I think um, you know here um, as well. At the same time, Doctor Seward arrives, um, and you have some Alcum meeting both Doctor Seward for the first time and uh, getting to know uh, Hartigan here, mm -hmm. um, and uh, them ultimately going to. Um, Bedlam Hospital in in order to um, interrogate uh, Renfield. Yeah. Uh, there is a great line as Dr. Seward returns um, and the orderly there, um, she goes, have you restrained him? And he goes, yes, he's been biting. Um, <laughs> because Renfield, yes, he's certainly got the, the taste for, for blood. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he's, he's hoping to become who he thinks he might be, um, in this moment now that the end of days has arrived. But you have this, this great little, um, this fight and you, you see the, the power of the familiars. And I, I think this leads, you know, with, um, Ethan going out to try and find uh, Dr. Frankenstein mm -hmm. to tr come and help 
um, some Alchem. I think ultimately that that all kind of falls by the wayside a bit, and it doesn't really play out like that. Um, Ethan doesn't find Victor. In fact, there's a a chance meeting because Victor is already at Bedlam Hospital mm. in, in episode nine. So it, it feels a bit like a, a mistake that they've kind of actually bumped in. You know, a, a, a fairly uh, fortuitous encounter, dare I yeah. say it. Uh, but in this deserted london you have the familiars feasting uh ethan is brought away by a creepy kid Mm -hmm. uh, and this he comes face to face with dracula in chinatown Um, and this is where ethan puts forward his intentions that he is here for vanessa he will protect her he Mm -hmm. will defend her against dracula dracula doesn't finish him off now um, and instead leaves that to his familiars. But luckily there is a full moon mm-hmm. and we do get uh, a great little street fight with him, uh, white sort of clawing his way through the familiars. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we get the arrival of the silver fox in Kearney, yeah. his father, who yeah. is also uh, a werewolf. And I really, really like that. I mean, it's been signposted pretty heavily. Uh, I think the interesting thing, and just to sneak into episode nine, yeah. is that this is new for Ethan. He didn't realize mm. that Kaetney was also a werewolf. He didn't realize that it was Kaetney who had effectively uh, given this curse mm-hmm. to uh Ethan to himself, um, which I, I found surprising um, because I, I was under the impression that's kind of why he hated him so much. But actually, the hatred by Ethan of Kaitney, that that kind of fairly antagonistic relationship, mm-hmm. comes from the fact of what Kaitney, um has asked Ethan to do for the Apaches, that, that bloodlust that comes uh, in him sort of taking the revenge on the US Army, on mm-hmm. his family, and so on. It all comes from that. And so Ethan discovers that Kentney is his his dog father, <laughs> uh, should yeah. I say, um, that he is he is kind of this beast father. And I, I, I do like um, this this conversation. I'm, I'm bringing it in here... Um, from episode nine, but I think it's a really nice moment where, you know, Kentney describes how I thought it was this gift to save my people, the Apaches, mm-hmm. but ultimately um, it needed someone who was pure of heart and um, who would save all people. And that was why Kentney picked Ethan. And yeah. um, he, he has this great line of, I claimed you for God mm-hmm. uh, when he realized what this curse actually meant what mm-hmm. this power uh meant um and I, I thought that was really nice yeah. but the two of them uh you know are go all out working together uh to kill the familiars in yeah. in chinatown as they're attacked uh so i i really like this atmosphere uh in london mm-hmm. that it felt dangerous it felt like it had gone to pot it, it felt um menacing yeah. and and creepy uh, i thought it was really good yeah absolutely and i know I, I mentioned earlier on in the season that i was hoping that we would get the story of how uh, ethan became the wolf you know I, I, we had heard his history we'd had the background of what happened between himself and his family uh, and i was hoping they were going to get time really to tell the story of what happened with ethan um i think it was signposted that that of course his connection with the apaches what turned him into a werewolf but i was quite surprised in a way that Kate and I, 
was also a werewolf and he's the one that turned Ethan. I don't know why it felt like it would be more that Kayat and I turned him into the weapon. I didn't think there was going to be a family of wolves uh, in that way, but it was definitely signposted. It was there. It's yeah. not a massive shock, but I do think it was it was good that they had it in here like that. Though. But it also was quite cute because Kayat and he looked like he had little great ears from <laughs> from the 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 mane of hair that grows when he becomes a he werewolf <laughs> so it was like a little kind of doggy ears but uh no i i really like this and um, i i think of all the characters introduced uh, in season three mm-hmm. i think Kertney has been the one that has really been fleshed out yeah, like in in a good um, amount and and really feels integral to the storyline i i feel that with you know, I, I love Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde, that storyline. I'm so excited uh, with Dr. Jekyll mm. uh, coming into this show. Yeah. But I just feel we've not really talked about him except with Victor. And mm-hmm. I think he's not had the same treatment that I feel he should have had gotten uh, by coming into this show. And, yeah. and I, I think for me, it's just simply that I think he should have been introduced in season one or season two Mm -hmm. much earlier on so that you know it could have been explored more fully um but obviously you know he's been brought in for a particular reason uh, in in this season Uh, but it's a shame because i I really like the the character of dr jekyll and mr hyde uh, from the literature and i've always felt that in films it's just either been really badly portrayed or has been given short shrift and i think in this instance i've i'm regretful that he has been given short shrift because i loved the character what we have seen and i think shazaz latif um has been brilliant and i would love to have seen him become mr hyde um and just really see that dual personality but um I think it's great that Kentney has had this treatment, though, yeah, ultimately. Definitely. I was going to actually save some of the discussion about things that we may not have felt um, were the greatest thing about season three. Maybe some of the characters that were missed out. I was going to save that towards the end of season, of episode nine discussion uh, as we close out the series, if that's okay. Let's, yeah, let's definitely. A little bit of that, but I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, I, I feel sad. There's some characters that have been in the season that we haven't talked about outside of the summary because they've been reasonably perfunctory. They've kind of push the narrative forward and could have been used much stronger. So let's talk about that as we get to the end of the episode uh, of episode nine. Um, this this pea super in London is kind of a reference as well in itself, isn't it? There's a, the whole concept of what happened with Jack the Ripper and his murders in London yes. that took place around a time where there was massive fog that was in London that, that, that held up apparently the investigation that was going on and uh, that allowed Jack the Ripper to escape for a bit longer apparently. There was, there was some leads that they had they couldn't follow up because people couldn't leave their houses during this massive fog. It seems so different to what we see now. You know, a fog comes down and everybody just kind of gets in their cars and goes out. Uh, but at times during this really industrial period of, in London, I think up until the up until the 50s, um, when a fog descended, it can merge with the kind of output of it, of industry, output of factories, yeah. and creates kind of this um, acid fog almost, like acid rain that we would have had yeah. in the 80s or we know of from the 80s. But this acid fog killed thousands of people in London. And and every house, it, it you know, it was run on coal. Mm. Every house had a coal fire or a coal stove. Coal was king. Mm-hmm. Um, coal 
drove the industrial revolution mm-hmm. through steam power um and with uh, electricity generation of electricity and so you know coal was king so not only the industry pumping out um whatever it was pumping out because mm-hmm. of course you know no kind of environmental protection of in that sense and um, as but all the houses you know the the bit of the fuel used for cooking um for heating was primarily coal yeah. um so you know the the nascent electricity that was coming in it was generated by coal yeah. and it was all coal powered so um all this combined um to to end sort of make the fogs worse but also uh, in the reactions in the atmosphere yeah. for them to be seriously dangerous yeah and in the 50s there were something like 12,000 deaths from a big pea super industry much still very prominent mm-hmm. in london and that led to the clean airs act yeah. um in the uk at least yeah. um so yeah it, it it had implications and that's the thing I, th- I think this is the really interesting it plays on that here but ultimately it is the end of days that mm-hmm. is happening this is almost the use of this fog and the industry mm-hmm. by the forces of darkness. Yeah. To, um, and I, I, that I thought was really good. Absolutely. I love that kind of tying in that, you know, everybody else in London is thinking, oh, it's just the factories and the fog. And and we know uh, watching this show that actually it was because of the supernatural element that was going on that brought down uh, this. I think that's quite, that's quite a nice touch to kind of tie it into something that does realistically happen. But it is a surprise thinking about it this far away from it and not researching it up until uh, watching these episodes, I suppose, that this kind of stuff did happen on occasion and was an event that could have been protected if industry didn't output so much toxic waste effectively into the atmosphere at the time. So very thankful that that kind of stuff doesn't happen these days. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go back to Justine and Lily and Dorian uh, for my big moment from this episode. Uh, We talked about it a little bit more uh, in our episode seven discussion, but I thought the, um, connection between those two major characters lily had mentioned before that justine not only reminds her of herself she basically is exactly the same as what lily was like when she was brown and walking the streets the two of them are very similar so what i thought was really good connection in here from the writer was that both of them make similar statements uh, as they're threatened with their lives effectively you have justine saying she'd rather die on her feet than live on her knees as dorian kind of dissipates lily's tribe of women um you have the attack. He, he is stabbed by by Justine uh, directly in the heart, and he just pulls the knife out, drops to the floor <laughs> yeah. as all of the women go running. <laughs> yeah, who've been like, told to leave? They you know. leave pretty quick, smartish, don't they? When they realise mm-hmm. he effectively uh, is not a regular man. Yeah, uh, I, I did like that moment, mm-hmm. um, and but I liked the the effective bravery of Justine to stay, mm-hmm. um, and as you say, have this similar. Uh, view of the world as Lily, yeah. uh, you know, in that sense, she is this true acolyte of yeah. Lily's. That um, she would prefer to face him and, and stay here than go back to the life she had previously. Well, she just says she can't. You know, he's he's telling her, "I don't care where you go. Just go back to your silly little life and die as soon as you're going to die." Basically, just get out of here. And she just says she can't. She can't go back to her life on her knees. And he snaps her neck. 
um, is his instant response. There's no moment of him going, well, live here with me and, and yeah. live out the rest of your life. That's it. They've yeah, had, that, that's they've had not their yeah. she's tried to She's tried to kill him. And he says, well, if you'd rather die on your feet, well, I could do that for you. <laughs> yeah. And snaps her neck. And the flip side of that, we have uh, Lily appealing to Victor. Um, it has always been a really creepy concept that we've had Victor bringing Brona back to life as Lily and then wanting her for himself. And because she developed into the person that she is, she left him and went off to seek something else. And now what he wants to do is effectively uh, Eliza Doolittle her with drugs, turn her into a proper lady so that she will live with him for the rest of her life. And she's constantly saying to him that, you know, you can't force me to be the person that you want me to be because that's not me. Yeah. But this discussion where, that we have between the two of them where she's appealing to Victor because he loves her or he loves a version of her. She's appealing to him to not let that go. Um, I love some of the lines from Billy Piper in this. Yeah, she's, it's really she's got good. Some great moments where she's saying to him, you know, do you want me to beg for the barest scraps of dignity when she has to ask for a glass of water? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but she says the line to him, she'd rather die who she is than live as his demure wife. Um, yeah. And she she explains about her her daughter Sarah well, yeah. as well. Um, you know th- that um, you know she she and she is quite clear to Victor um, that even your creature John Clare is more human than he has been mm-hmm. to her. And you know for her, the, the comment she makes is that the, it's worse. Um, than death because she's going to be unmade. It, it's as we're saying from the previous episode for Lily. She doesn't scrub her past away. She realized that that journey for all good and bad bits of it mm-hmm. is the journey that's made her who she is, this resilient, strong woman who wants to change things, however much in a, in a bloodthirsty way. Mm. Um, but this, the cruelty of the world has reflected back on her. And while she now has dignity and strength, there is a cruelty behind that. Mm-hmm. But actually what we find here is behind that there is something more because of her, the loss of her daughter and Absolutely. the indignity that women have, have borne the brunt of in this male dominated society mm-hmm. and the stuff that they have to do, which is, you know, just not acceptable. Yeah. And behind that there is a, a occurring sort of matriarchal absolutely. element to it as well. But I, I, I love, really like that. Absolutely. I just love the strength of the character that comes out as she tells the story, you know, where she talks about in order to feed her child, that's why she had to go to the streets. So she left her child alone while she did that, thinking it's only a quick job. I'll close my eyes and it'll be over soon. And then she got beaten to the ground by this John. And then he didn't pay her. Yeah. Um, and she lay on the ground sore and in pain and you hear her saying you know all i wanted to do was just get up why the hell didn't i get up if i got up my daughter would have lived and you can tell that she she has learned from those experiences in her life who she has become those those are the things that have taught her who she become and rather than other people in this story even who want the past to be wiped away so that they can live their life she knows that she can't overwrite the past you can't just forget about it because it would change her as a human and i think that's really interesting you know one of the central themes of the whole series of penny dreadful is privilege and advantage versus working class people you know the things that people have to do and work hard for and attain versus the things that are given to them you know everything from um other characters who live out their life treating people like crap because they have the money and the privilege to do it and brona was one of those people that lived that life 
and has now fought her way out of it to get to this point. Even though, okay, there's a bit of supernatural stuff and being brought back from the dead. Yeah, course. exactly. But she's fought her way out of that and she never wants to go back to that. Um, because it takes away all of that experience, all of that work, all of that effort that she put in to get out of that situation. So, uh, so it does really speak to that story. And I like that the response from Victor is, to release her, to say that it yeah. is easy for us to become monsters. It is easy for us to turn into monsters. Um, and he releases her from that. And another little touch that kind of connects those two situations between um, Dorian snapping Justine's neck, as Lily goes, she does reach for Victor's neck. She reaches yep. for his throat, touches it, and then walks out. But I, I like, you know, that the it depends on who you're appealing for leniency to. You know, if it's someone that loves you, like Victor loves Lily, his response is, I will let you live then. Whereas if you're appealing to Dorian, yeah. you know, I'd rather die than do that. Dorian will go, okay, well, I'll let you die. You know, that's, that's the difference between the two. You know, v- Victor is a person with a heart who's been trying to live with the person he loves, who doesn't love him back. Whereas Dorian is trying to get back to his old life and Justine is standing in his way almost, <laughs> you know, yeah, he's challenged well, him. And it's, it's, you know, the privilege because they believe they are superior to others mm-hmm. it's class war it's almost the precursor to to racism is this you were judged based on your position in life yeah. uh, and with that privilege meant you had no empathy with these people and so mm. you treated them like animals or dirt and it, it it's just another list in in isms effectively mm. uh, that are are negative and biased and um and that's i think one of the 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 big things that comes out of here uh, as well I, I i think not only that strength but you really feel the power and the threat of lilia now she tempers it as you say with victor and um, and that's because in a sense she can empathize with victor she mm-hmm. doesn't come she's experienced the same as he has and he has had the empathy enough to understand her point of view and she is that that's the thing underneath this kind of cruelty that maybe she has shown Mm. she does have this other empathetic side you know you really do get that sense of a threat from her i mean i was all the way through that scene was why have you just strapped her ankle Uh, i was wondering how victor was going to actually inject the serum anyway because her her arms were free and with the glass of water that was a ruse to try and you know again get free and, and grab hold of victor so um really yeah i I really got that sense um of her her strength but also linked with that strength to effectively snap victor's neck at any moment so i i I felt that menace and it was played so well by harry treadaway where he you know you could see him skirting the the circumference of where Mm -hmm. the chain allowed lily to get to but i I, you're right i don't know how it would have played out because yeah yeah. he couldn't have gotten close to her you know they remember they'd strapped the scottish um guy that they that they tested the serum on he's strapped by his head Head. by his hands by his his legs and we already know that that lily has been given a form of super strength by being brought back from the dead we Uh, already know she's very strong so she could have easily broken the bond so 
I suppose an interesting idea that you have Lily talking her way out of it when she could have actually killed Victor. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that's a that's a nice indication of the type of character that she is. Yeah, well. definitely. The other thing I thought that actually may have happened was with Ethan being uh, charged to find Victor, that ultimately he was brought to Bedlam uh, by the creepy child instead of to Chinatown, <laughs> and that yeah. he would come face to face with Brian. I'm glad they didn't do that because it would have been a complication to the the story way too late it would have yeah. needed to have been done earlier and also it um, would have been brona being saved by a man or lily being saved by a man i exactly. like that she saved herself exactly. by using all the knowledge that she had of victor to but, get her released yeah, yeah absolutely but I, I was certainly just i was anticipating some awkward uh moment sure. of him bursting in with victor and seeing brona alive in the chair mm-hmm. uh, and it, it leading to um some kind of fallout between the two of them. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't do that because it, it really wouldn't have been the right time to do Not it. Not there, definitely. It is odd, and we will definitely talk about that one as well at the end. Uh, it is odd that two seasons have gone by, two members of the same company, both knew Brona, and one of the members, Ethan, hasn't met Brona for two seasons. I do think that is very odd. That's a small circle. We thought it would have happened at this stage. That was anyway. That was my note for uh, for this episode. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about in this episode, John? Anything else we haven't covered off? No, no notes for uh, this one. That's really difficult to say. No notes. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no notes. No, no, no notes. No, 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 no notes. Oh wow! A too unlimited reference. Exactly, John. Uh, that might get us sued as well because you're not Chris, so you actually had the tune there um only one thing I, I had that i wanted to say for the episode you mentioned it earlier on that it, uh, you you called it a dog uh, hung on a hook over vanessa's bed yeah uh, when i saw that instantly i was think, thinking it was a wolf uh, to uh, taunt ethan um that's why it was hung up over the bed it looked well, like I, a wolf. I think it is to taunt him definitely yeah, but, but the reason why it looked like a wolf because we know from season one there are wolves in london we'd seen them uh, when they went to visit the zoo uh, in season one so uh, so i thought it was a wolf that was strung up over the bed bleeding out over her bed to show I have her now kind of thing from Dracula, real taunt well, to Ethan. Yeah, and maybe it was. It certainly wasn't a, a chinchilla anyway, um, <laughs> and <wasn't>. a poodle. <laughs> it's rather a big dog. It, it was a big dog. The message came across. If not a wolf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and finally, one other thing, considering we're going through COVID-19 times at the moment, <laughs> uh, it just struck me that moment from Ethan uh, where 7,000 people have died in the fog. And Katrina says to Ethan, if you're going to go out, you need to wear a mask. And Ethan says, I'll take my chances. Yeah, he wouldn't survive very, very well in these times. No, not at all. No, it's, oh no, I'll be grand. Don't worry about me. She don't, I'm not going to listen to any of the messages from, uh, from uh, <laughs> the government that tell me what I need to do going out into this. I'll be fine. I must say, it was the weird thing about this with the plague, the pestilence and so on. Mm. And yeah, you've kind of got this deserted London with a city in lockdown um, Mm -hmm. in that sense. And you're just thinking, this is just weird. And then being told, wear a mask and and all of this, it 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 felt strangely uh, surreal for the current times that we're living in with the Didn't lockdown. Trust. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, one of our listeners, Steve Brown, a uh, wonderful friend of the show, uh, pointed out that early in season one, uh, Ethan was also asked to social distance from uh, from Brona. So uh, <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. <laughs> so Ethan not taking any uh, responsibility for his actions during uh, during a period of uh, that he should be staying indoors and wearing yeah, masks. Yeah, because she had consumption, didn't mm-hmm. didn't she? And yet, yes, they were certainly. Uh, very intimate with one another. I yeah. just, I'm not too sure 
to what extent consumption is infectious or not, or whether it's just a plague on the lungs mm. from the environment. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think I think there's some there's something that could have happened if he was staying very close. So basically, follow the rules that everybody says, you know, stay indoors if you can and wear your masks and wear your gloves and all that kind of stuff, unless you're a supernatural being who has werewolf powers. Well, exactly. Because then taking your chances uh, isn't as difficult as it would be for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's our discussion for episode eight, the penultimate episode of season three of Penny Dreadful. Actually, the penultimate episode of Penny Dreadful. This the penultimate perpetual um, episode. <laughs> We'll take another break and we'll be back after this to talk about the final episode of Penny Dreadful, The Blessed Dark. I am Connor from the House of L. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction and we have made our home in Australia and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, uh, read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. So just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are, that week. Up, 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 up and, and away! away. And we're back. The epic adventure of 27 episodes of Penny Dreadful over, what, four weeks? Yes. Yeah, we're talking about The Blessed Dark, the final episode of the original series of Penny Dreadful from John Logan. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Blessed be the darkness, fellow darklings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, I'm one of your other hosts, John. I'm looking a little pasty, my eyes are going slightly bloodshot, and my veins are looking somewhat black (laughs) as I move into this final episode. See, the way I threw our listeners off by uh, not opening with... Welcome back, fellow Penny Faithful, for the yes. first time. Like the show didn't come back with its uh, theme tune. Uh, speaking of theme tunes, a huge thank you for the theme tune for our episodes of Penny Dreadful to uh, Typos, or Typos, I can't remember how you pronounce it. But, Typos. Uh, yeah, really good theme that we've used this season. I've really enjoyed listening to it every time I've been editing it. Yeah, time no, it's really good. Really yeah. good. Hopefully, we'll be using the same theme for Penny Dreadful. City of Angels or Perry Dreadful Season 4, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, the original composer for Penny Dreadful is different. It's changed for uh, City of Angels. Abel Karzunijewski uh, did the original music for Penny Dreadful. And yeah. It's very evocative of that era. Oh, it's uh, really you good. Know, but yeah. I understand with moving it to America and moving it to the 1930s, you would need a different composer. Uh, the composer for the new series is John Paisano, um, who did Daredevil, the theme for Daredevil, which is a, an amazing theme on another show that we covered for, for three seasons. So uh, I'm very confident that he'll be able to do the music for the show and do it justice for City of Angels. Um, but Abel Korzeniowski uh, has been fantastic for this show. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. And I think certainly if if it feels a bit more modern, I think we may need to change up our, our title mm-hmm. music for City of Angels. Um, I'll be searching it over the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. see if we can find it before uh, the first episode of that show airs. But as I said, we are at the end of our epic 
uh, rewatch and, and retrospective for Penny Dreadful. Yes. Uh, all in time for City of Angels mm-hmm. on the 26th of April. Thank you, everyone who has supported this rewatch yeah. uh, during these dark times as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, anyone who has shared, rated us, uh, left a review, um, and also uh, for our Patreons uh, as well. All support, any support, um, however you uh, decide to do it for TV Podcast Industries, for the Dreadful Podcast, um, is a very much appreciated Definitely. by myself and Derek. Um, so uh, a big thank you. So we hope you've been enjoying it for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good time to mention here. Uh, we will be releasing our episodes of Penny Dreadful City of Angels as they air in the US on Showtime. We'll be recording as soon after the episode premieres on the 26th of April. So make sure you stay subscribed to TV Podcast Industries or the Dreadful Podcast to get our discussion about each individual episode. It will be slightly different from the way we're covering these as it's a retrospective rewatch. We're kind of going back and taking out the big points that matter about each episode that feed in to this final episode so with a weekly show where we don't know what's coming in the future we'll probably be talking much more in depth about things that may not matter as the as the episodes go on just like we do with all of our other shows that we've covered on tv podcast industries but we hope to hear from you and hear your thoughts weekly as the episodes go out email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts any penny for your thoughts uh, as you go on through each of the episodes each week Let's get into our discussion about The Blessed Dark. Once again, the episode was directed by Paco Cabezas, who does direct the first two episodes of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, as I mentioned before. So really intrigued, given how much influence he's had over the last few episodes of uh, the original Penny Dreadful, how he's going to take on board this new show and how he's going to guide it. Uh, They often mention that the original uh, director for this show, J.A. Bayona, who directed the first two episodes of Penny Dreadful Season 1, kind of set the style and set the tone for the whole show. And giving it over to Paco Cabezas, who ended Penny Dreadful, giving him the kickoff point for City of Angels is interesting. So we may get a different style to kick off that show. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's going to be interesting. Um, There's not many shows, I, I suppose, that effectively, you know, are as final in terms of these three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of the credits for The Blessed Doc, we get the end. That's right. Um, obviously, classic um, literary uh, thing there for mm-hmm. novels, certainly in that time. Uh, but also, it feels very final yeah. uh, that we get that here. Exactly. And yet, we have now a continuation. Um, but I think it is... A very different continuation. It is uh, within the supernatural spirit of Penny Dreadful uh, that we move into City of Angels. Um, So, yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. uh, For sure. And to mention, episode written by showrunner John Logan. He's written most of the episodes. There's only three episodes that he hadn't written himself uh, in the entire run of Penny Dreadful. And same with City of Angels. This is his baby. He will guide it and he'll, he'll... deliver the storyline that he wants to deliver for City of Angels as well. So uh, very intrigued to see what he does after seeing these three seasons. Yeah, you're right. The the uh, placard at the end saying the end with no question mark. <laughs> no, le- this leads on to another story. No, uh, will we get a season four? This was three seasons which ended with a finality to them. Uh, but let's find out what happened in the final episode. John, do you want to give us the summary for The Blessed Dark? Sure. Dracula reveals to Vanessa that Ethan is prophesied as his only threat. Meanwhile, Dr. Seawood discovers from Renfield the location of Dracula's lair. 
Lily leaves Dorian, and the creature's son dies, and his wife urges him to take the boy to Victor so that he may be reanimated. So Malcolm and the others head to Dracula's lair to confront him and save Vanessa. They fend off an attack by the large group of Dracula's children, but then Dracula himself subdues them. Ethan, meanwhile, slips away and finds Vanessa. At her request, Ethan shoots her to end the darkness. So Malcolm, Victor, and Ethan consider their futures. The creature places his son's body into the River Thames, and Vanessa's funeral is held. You're right, a certain finality to all of the storylines that yes, we have here. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, it, it really is... Um, I, I, I think uh, it's a... A great choice. I, I think this show has had a lot of great choices mm-hmm. um, in, and the decisions it's made. And I think here, um, you know, it is, do you save Vanessa or does she save herself through a sacrifice? And mm-hmm. I think this is really, for me, uh, the right choice made here. Um, it, it feels, I suppose, the main thing that I, I found slightly strange because Vanessa has in some ways been out of this narrative a lot in this season because of uh, looking at um, uh, Ethan's story, Mm. I suppose, in a bit more detail. I I think that's why I feel Katni has had a a great introduction in this season Mm -hmm. because it it has been a lot about Ethan's um, story. And whilst Vanessa's has continued, it's not continued in the same vein as the first two seasons. And I, I think here, I would have liked to maybe have seen a bit more of Vanessa. Um, given how important this moment is. But I think it is really nicely done. And actually, in the end, I I think I don't have a problem with maybe her lack of screen time uh, as I thought it would. It's just something I kind of noted uh, for for Towards these last three particularly. I mean, episode eight, she's not in it at all. That's right. At episode six, she's in every scene. So, yeah, the balance towards the end of the season. I think I know what you mean. There's that moment where Katrina's talking to her and saying, you need to treat this as a spy. It's not for a warrior to go in. And you wonder about the choice that she's made because there's nothing much on screen of what that choice is. And you see that she's made the choice in this episode. She has turned to darkness and she wants her friends saved, but doesn't want them with her uh, early on in the episode. Towards the end, that slightly changes, but um, you're not exactly sure of her motivation until you get to these final moments at the end of the episode. Exactly. I, I think it would have been nice to have seen Vanessa kick some ass here and, and destroy Dracula in the same way that with the the doll in season two, she mm. subdued Lucifer. Maybe just destroy Dracula is the wrong thing, more subdue him and, mm-hmm. and really make him screw up. Because I think, you know, Dracula very much, when the, the jig is up, he, it's just like he, he goes, he goes. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I, I don't mind that, but I, I think uh, maybe that was some problem for some uh, viewers mm-hmm. in this uh, and i think it would have been nice to have seen her you know reenact the verbus diablo um and really subdue him and, and mm. send him whispering off uh in you know with his 
tail between his legs, so to speak. Yeah. Um, no, that's Ethan, John. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, for, for me, my big moment, uh, it kind of relates around that as well as involving it, which is the battle at Hinder Acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the company is back um, together again, albeit with additions of Dr. Seawood and Katrina Hartigan mm-hmm. to uh, face not only Dracula, but the 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 hordes of um of the master's children or his familiars mm-hmm. um, and i i really um i i liked a number of different things i loved the build up um to this and mm-hmm. i have to say i loved um the scene with dr seward and renfield at bedlam mm-hmm. uh, and her use of the cane it, it's very interesting this was the moment where i really felt renfield being the new fenton from season 1 yes. with uh, Sir Malcolm threatening the force uh, of his cane, his mm-hmm. fists, his physical violence towards Renfield. Um, and I, I liked how uh, Dr. Seward steps in, takes the cane from him, and just that lovely rhythmic tapping mm. as she leads Renfield to show her um, not only where Dracula is, but whilst doing that, you actually get the tragedy of Renfield. Mm. There is a, a really nice moment as they're walking down the street where, you know, Dr. Seward is asking, what has he done with Vanessa? Um, and Renfield said, well, he loves her and she loves him. Mm. Um, and, and you see his face fall and, and he, he talks about, um, I, I've never loved anyone. And, and preceding that, he's talked about how he's taken all these um, uh, women of, of the night, I suppose, all, all the prostitutes in, mm-hmm. from Chinatown and done ungodly things with them and all this kind of stuff, you know, that moralistic element. Uh, and he, even though he's now a creature of Dracula, uh, in this hip state there's still the old renfield and that tragedy kind of permeates into this um reveal of dracula's lair at hinder acres mm-hmm. and in in that moment he turns to dr seward and said did you love me were, were you my friend mm. and there's no answer from her <laughs> um and it's yeah. I, I find that really um it, it's both tragic and um just how it's done is so so good and i I think renfield's given some great lines here um he goes tap 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 uh, again to the beat of her tapping uh sir malcolm's cane on Mm -hmm. the ground he goes tap 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 of the tattoo needle on the flesh as the blood drop drop drops um just sort of great little line yeah yeah, the portrayal of renfield here is is phenomenal but yeah um, it is but did you feel sympathy for Renfield's story? Because I don't think I did. And I think it's something that we talked about back at the start of season one. The the actor who plays Renfield is really good because even before he's turned, you have that creepiness about him. You know, he, he doesn't just take hookers in London. He proposes to give money to any woman he wants to and then has sex with them at the back of the stall kind of thing. There's some creepiness about him. And he, he kind of pleads with Dr. Seward saying, you know, did you love me? Um, Maybe if I'd had a friend like you, I wouldn't have turned out like this. Yeah. Maybe it's somebody else's fault that I am the way I am kind of thing. And I felt that was still a bit whiny and still a bit, you know, trying to excuse his behavior and blame other people for it. No, I I, I didn't. That's not how it came across to me. Right. Anyway, right. I, I felt that was 
the glimpse. I, I think he was an outcast. He was an outsider. Mm-hmm. Probably why he was chosen by um, by Dracula. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he didn't fit in. Dracula isolate. You know, you, you think of Katrina Hartigan's, um talk of Dracula being a predator, mm-hmm. isolating. This guy was already isolated. He, he felt he didn't have anyone. Right. You know. His his turn for affection was to go and hire prostitutes and mm-hmm. have his moment with them, that physical intimacy, yeah. um, which would have been just morally awful for other people in society. Mm-hmm. So he isolated himself in many different ways. And I think um, maybe he held on to the job um, at Dr. Seawood's because he was that initial face for all her clients. And mm-hmm. um, that was his social interaction. Whilst he wasn't close to Dr. Seawood, she was accepting of him. Yeah. And I think you don't really get that until this moment yeah. where she has him in the hypnotic state. But in a sense, it's too late for him. Yeah. Um, there, there is no other route because the route he's taken is the one that's led him to this point. Yeah. Uh, and in, in that sense, he doesn't look back on it as a source of strength, say, mm-hmm. in the same way that Lily does. Yeah. So, and it also calls, calls back to Dr. Sieber as well, right back from the first episode where she met Vanessa saying to her, I'm not your wife, I'm not your mother, I'm not your lover, I'm a doctor who's going to cure you. And when asked the question from him, do you love me? Could I have a friend like you? She completely ignores the question because she wants him to bring her to, to Dracula. She has a use for him. She's not here to placate him, not here to sort out the issues that he has. She's going to use him to get to Dracula. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you could even argue that Renfield ultimately was at the wrong place at the mm-hmm. wrong time, being the secretary to Dr. Seawood, mm-hmm. who Vanessa has gone to. Yeah. So, but I just feel you really get the sense of that um, tragedy Absolutely, here. Yeah. But it leads the the newfound company to Hinderacre's meat market, where many um, animals have been slaughtered before. It's yeah. a house of blood, I believe Renfield calls it. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is really a great um, base for the Dracula. Yeah. Um, I really like that. But isn't it interesting that like, we were watching the extras for this, and we've mentioned before the show's filmed in Dublin uh, probably a couple of times uh, as we talk through the three seasons. Isn't it interesting? I'd, I'd been to the Natural History Museum of Ireland on a school tour when I was about 10 years old, and I didn't recognize that that's the place where... Um, where Dracula has been based this entire season is in the Natural History Museum of Ireland. It's something that I just put to the back of my mind. And when I saw it on the extras for the show, I suddenly went, oh, that was a place I've been to. That is that is exactly what it still looks like. And unfortunately, in lockdown, we can't just pop out and go and see it again. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I was expecting to do, was to go and see some of the locations where this is filmed, re- revisit them now, because they're all real locations, just slightly dressed for the Victorian era. I'd love to have gone to uh, the Natural History Museum again. Uh, it gave me the impetus to go there and go uh, and, and go explore um, Dr. Sweet's place, you know? Well, that's his place of work. His place of work, yeah. yeah. Whereas Hinderacres is, is mm. not the Natural History Museum. No, it's not. Yeah. No, 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 no. far from it. <laughs> but um, here they come to face down the master, save Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Katni and Ethan coming up through a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately a, a great battle um, here between uh, all of Dracula's familiars as he sends them to destroy um this this company. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Dr. Seawood's um, sort of 
I'm from New York. Uh, you know, she's a proper New Yorker. We're used um, to casual gunplay. Yeah, we're guess. used to casual gunplay. <laughs> and you also have uh, Katrina Hartigan, who has described herself as being the warrior, the soldier mm-hmm. uh, to to Vanessa. You know, all of them fairly uh, useful with a firearm. And mm-hmm. then you have the fish out of water in Victor, who yes. has come along. And I have to say, I absolutely related to Victor's um portrayal by Harry Treadaway and and how probably I would behave in a battle that I've been brought into yeah. where frantically trying to reload the gun with six bullets as there's all these crazy uh familiars coming towards me ready to kill me yeah. uh, I really enjoyed the the battle you know yeah. you had the the swagger of Samalcom with his new gun his semi-automatic mm-hmm. he, he has his own needle you know the sword from his cane mm-hmm. um very proficient katrina also very proficient in fact the two of them working off one another yeah. um i love her flip up the stairs uh, as she's taking yeah. out the vampires really good dr seawood knows how to handle a gun yeah. she's killed her hu- abusive husband beforehand mm-hmm. she's also used to gunplay as she says uh, and then you have victor really just running around Killing people, but sort of petrified. Well, you get um, the impression that, that with his six-shooter, he shot all six bullets and killed one vampire. <laughs> yeah, everybody exactly. else has shot six bullets and killed six. You know, he does, as you say, exactly the same as myself. You know, I, I watched him feeling, I would like to have the idea that I would have moral, the moral kind of um, constitution, I suppose, to join a company to save a friend. But I know I would be exactly like him in this situation, <laughs> exactly the same as yourself, Johnny. You know, you just suddenly go... It's nice to say I'll be there and I'll help out and I'll fight alongside everybody else, but I don't have the skills to do no, it. Exactly. So I'm in the wrong situation. Yeah, right exactly. Now, you know? uh, but, you know, with wave after wave of familiars coming uh, against them, that they're helped out with Ethan and with Katni, who yeah. join in the fight. And I love... Um, I love that moment with Ketney to Samalcom where he goes, uh, it, it's been an honor to hunt with you. You mm-hmm. would have made a mighty Apache. I really enjoyed these two characters and that, yeah. that, that really was a great line. The two fathers of Ethan, yes. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, again, more familiars and it, this is where Dracula says that go now. Um, Vanessa allows you to live. Go while I allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all seems very fine until um, he starts. Samalcom asks the question of, of Dracula about his daughter Mina, mm-hmm. uh, and you realize that Mina was just this pawn on the chess table. Yeah. She meant nothing to him, although he does say that her blood tasted sweet, and it kicks the battle off because it's like you know. Um, it's been an honor knowing you to all the, to Victor, to Dr. Seward, Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Um, it, it's a, a great, uh, against the odds fight it here. Is. Well, um, they all think they're going to die, don't yeah. they, as well? Uh, one thing we talked about in episode eight about the dispelling of a lot of the mythology around, uh, vampires. Um, I wanted to just check if you, if you noticed this, John, in the battle underneath in the sewers as Ethan and Kaetna are coming in, uh, they're surrounded by bats that turn into vampires, aren't they? So that, that is part of the regular mythology of, of vampires that they can turn in out of bats. I bats didn't... are night creatures, but you see some of the bats hanging from the roof of, uh, of the sewers as they're coming up. And then you see some familiars dropping from the same roof. Okay. Uh, it doesn't show the transformation yeah. as such, but 
I took it that this is to mean that they that they do transform in and out of of that form, but it's the first time we've ever seen it in the series. So maybe I I didn't I actually didn't take it like that. I just thought that again part of the night creatures they had disturbed um, a colony of bats yeah. that all flew out, and then the familiars came in. Mm. I, I didn't take it as that, but I, I, I think it absolutely could have been. Or, Again, it could be a reference to, you know, you seeing the two in the same place, you connect the two in your mind, effectively. Yeah, so, definitely. You know, maybe they come in under cover of the bats leaving kind of thing. Yeah. So maybe that was it. I think as well with this fight, I think we should all be like Katrina Hartigan, actually, um, mm, and bring a I knife, wish. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. Victor in himself throws the gun away and picks up a, a, an old butcher uh, pole with mm-hmm. a hook on it. Uh, and he seems to have a lot more success with that. And certainly th- there's no need to reload in the same frantic way as Victor was trying to do. So I, I kind of really like this. But uh, they give Ethan the space and time to go to what he thinks will be to save uh, Vanessa. Mm. Um, and it's... You know, he's effectively trying to save her. He wants her to live. Yeah. Um, he sees that is his call, you know, um, as the, as the wolf of God. Um, and ultimately Vanessa says, this goes with my sacrifice to save everyone uh, and asks Ethan, uh, to, to kill her so that she denies the, the forces of darkness their prize, mm-hmm. uh, that she stops their, hunt of her um and it's a really you you see him put the gun uh to her gut um to end it with a kiss and then uh the fire of the gun um and the the atmosphere here uh the set dressing with all the candles is is really um beautiful atmospheric that she is melancholic she's you know she she says she's accepted this it's you know um, it's not him you need to fight, she says to to Ethan. It's me. I was the one that brought this darkness to the world. Yet you see that she still has light within her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want her her friends to die, and actually, she's torn between these two. And mm-hmm. I think that's always been the case. You know, she has embraced the verbis diablo, yet has had um, a strong faith in in. Uh, God and mm. in her Catholic upbringing, yeah. um, e- even with um, putting the 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 cross back in season two into the fire, right at the end, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it, well, it she back. has this duality about yeah. her, and it comes back in the conversation yeah. between Ethan and Vanessa, where she says, "You know, that was the end of of that version of Vanessa was when I burnt the cross." Um, Ethan's description of him standing on the edge of the abyss, about to look over the edge and see his end. And he, even then he was able to turn back to God. Uh, I thought it was a fascinating way for Ethan to try and encourage her to yeah. come back off her Definitely. own precipice. You know, uh, really good touch just quickly in the episode. I liked that Dracula having the discussion with Ethan while they're having their, their battle, uh, where he's telling Ethan, Vanessa isn't yours, she's mine. Kind of going against the offer that he'd made to Vanessa last episode, where he said, I will accept you for being you. I'm not going to possess you. I'm going to stand by your side. And now he's telling Ethan that he does possess her. So I think it was important to have Dracula say that while he tells her that she's made her choices, that his whole premise was to get her as his possession as well. So I think it's important to kind of, for him to have called out that he is 
evil and he is he isn't doing this just for her benefit he's doing it for his benefit you know? yeah it, it was the way of enticing her to come willingly and mm-hmm. um, almost with a, a mesmerism um yeah. you know a, a silver tongue yeah. um and i think that comes out as well where he says you can go you know um i, I will vanessa wants you to live mm-hmm. um and but he does then qualify that with go while i allow oh, right, it exactly. so he doesn't need to follow her mm-hmm. he's his bride absolutely yep. and will be the mother of uh, of evil but he is still dominating her and i yep. think that comes across in that line as well it, it's very much it's not the willing relationship that she felt that it was yep. when she bird her her neck mm-hmm. to him in the natural history museum it was quite startling though seeing uh, her early on in the episode coming out after having uh, after that meeting of the two of them where she bared her neck seeing her coming out with uh, her black dress on and the eyes turning similar to Renfield uh, kind of the skin going even more ashen and the eyes being as dark as they were I did love again a great choice by the director uh, as she walks out to stand beside uh, Dr. Sweet or Dracula um, you see all of the uh, familiars dropping to the ground in a bow almost and backing up away further from her i thought it was it was one of those really amazingly choreographed moments for so many extras to have the same movement like like uh, locusts i think we talked about before or or cockroaches or something like that yeah they all backed up away for i thought that was really interesting in fact when they come down to meet sir malcolm and the rest of them uh great them coming down the walls and then Mm -hmm. kind of bending in a really distorted way to get back on their feet yeah. uh, it was, was really nicely put. Yeah, I think as well that whole early moment with Vanessa and uh, Dracula, mm-hmm. you do get the sense that she's maybe the one in control there as mm-hmm. well. And because, again, I, I like the touch she's dressed in black, but she puts her hand uh, on his shoulder and he comes up to touch it and she's moved it away before then. It feels like she's in a very strong position. Um, but she does say, uh, when he's saying that the wolf of God is after me, that, you know, he's too strong, she says, let him come. We'll end this in blood as it was always meant to be. And I think that's certainly a, a foretelling of this battle and potentially her end. I suppose it's ambiguous enough as to whether she will kill Ethan, she mm-hmm. has pitched her her tent firmly in the um, the the forces of darkness camp, yeah. or whether it's her own death, or whether it's that they um, the blood is of Dracula. I mean, like you don't know which way it will go, yeah. and it's a it's a nice line that she brings here mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And I like the contrast then that when Ethan comes to her, it's all this candlelight, and she's in the white robe. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's to the conflict uh, within her, mm-hmm. I suppose. I think also the fact that I've always felt that she has been an agent of God, mm-hmm. but it is one who can perform dark magic. Yeah. And I, I think, again, my reasoning for that is with Kertney meeting her. He's never met her in real life. When he comes to her in the spiritual connection, he says, you are made for the day, Vanessa, not the night. It's mm-hmm. like he understands her true purpose yeah. in the same way as Ethan's, uh, and where he says, I claimed you for God. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's like Kertney has that insight into the grander designs mm-hmm. as well from having... Being an, an Apache using the power 
for his own people, yeah. he realized it should have been used for all the people of the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's obviously the big moment from the episode, the story and the end of, of the Scorpion, I suppose, the Scorpion yeah. story of, of Vanessa. She's been our main character, you know, I suppose maybe arguably, but she is the main character of the yeah, show absolutely. for me from, from the beginning. So having her end here, it's it's a shocking end, um, but I do think there's an inevitability about it. Um, I was I was laughing when I was going back looking for some images for Penny Dreadful. I was going through the Twitter account for the official uh, Penny Dreadful, and for their live tweet of the final episode, effectively all of their tweets that were going that they were putting out with images for all of the cast had uh, the lines written on it. This was foretold. This was inevitable, and had various lines said by uh, Vanessa from from the beginning of the series. You know things about um, the the air will be pestilent to the humans. This all of this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff, and it, the the whole final two episodes were set up as being the inevitable conclusion. And it got me thinking. Going, you know, John Logan has said that it was three seasons, and that was it. And there is a moment here where there's a choice. In if you take a kind of a meta look at it, there's a choice at the end of this season to either have this show a running show like maybe Supernatural for 15 seasons, for example, <laughs> or have an end to it. And the choice is either Ethan being the proper enemy of Dracula kills Dracula or sends away this version of Dracula. And yeah. then mm -hmm. next season, it's about Ethan protecting Vanessa from a ne the next force of darkness that comes after her. Or they end it here and they go, this is a three season show where Vanessa dies and that's the end of the story. And there's no battle anymore between Lucifer and uh, Dracula for their bride because the bride is gone. And it almost felt like that meta moment where they went, this is a end of show after three seasons. Because otherwise we can keep this going with a for with a new force of darkness looking for Vanessa next season and the company protecting her from it or her protecting herself from it. And that's how you continue the show on and on. I just thought it was interesting. That's the, that's the choice that's laid there right in front of these two characters where Ethan goes, but I could protect you. You know, I could fight him off and, and we could, yeah, yeah. we could stand together forever. <laughs> and until he dies, the show could continue effectively, yeah. you know? So I, I thought it was a little bit, in my mind, it suddenly turned a little bit meta where I went, so it could have run for another three seasons. There could have been more ideas. There's loads of other stuff Absolutely. there to explore. But if you want to end your show in three seasons, the only way really, the inevitable way to end it is to say, the person they've been battling over, who is Vanessa, is going to take herself out of the equation. And all of those prophecies that you've had written about your ascent to ruler of the world can't come true anymore. So... A really interesting end of the show, but the inevitable end if you're going to end the show after three yeah. seasons. And you have that great moment where Vanessa says uh, at the start um, with Dracula, uh, forget the prophecies, we will forge our own journey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so again, it, it comes back to all of these things like with Katrina Hartigan saying, you know, all the superstition that has been written about, none of it's true. Mm -hmm. This is the reality. Exactly. So. And I think, you know, that also, yeah, I suppose, in a meta way, is about how they've decided to tell this story. Exactly. Um, I was happy with this. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was the, the bold decision. I, I think it's the only reason why I would have liked to just have seen more um, of Vanessa, because I think at the start of episode nine, you do get, you know, she's there in black. She feels very confident mm -hmm. around um, Dracula. In fact, I feel like, you know, 
she is the one that's in charge. Mm. Uh, she is the mother of evil and therefore uh, has has this power uh, and status above Dracula. Um, and so it would have just been nice to have seen moments where maybe she's been reached to again by Kertney or even through Ethan mm. uh, to the point where... Because then we just see her in white and it's a very supplicant um, kind of Vanessa. It's very different, I think, from the start. You know, mm. the beginning, it's like, bring the battle on. We'll finish this in blood. Yeah. And then she stays away from it in this candlelit um, area. The contrast is good, yeah. but how has she gotten there? But she's hiding her plan, isn't she? That's yeah. the, that's the element of it that we don't get to hear because we don't have her on screen. She's hiding what her actual plan is. Her plan all along is to end it in blood and to have Ethan end it. Yeah, um, and yeah. ultimately, she took Katrina's um, words to heart mm-hmm. and took on board her advice. She became the infiltrator. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so a really interesting ending. You have taken the big moment of Absolutely. the show, effectively, because that is the end of season three, uh, is the death of Vanessa and, and what happens with her. But uh, I will take the other side of it, because there is another storyline going on, I think, which is all centered around Victor and the immortals, effectively, because yeah. there is... From the beginning of this show, really, there is that other story, really, that's been surrounding Victor and his monsters, I suppose. So uh, with John Clare, you, you have it already in the in the summaries. We're not going to go into too much, but what a sad ending um, yeah. for this character. You know, he did get back to his family. You know, we we do see his son pass away. We we said it was, you know, it was pretty likely that was going to happen. He wasn't specifically doing anything to, that he was bringing anything to his son to save him. But what he did bring was hope to his wife that even if his son died, he could be brought back by Frankenstein, which was absolutely the opposite message of what John Clare wanted to bring back to his wife. But it is heartbreaking to see her say to him, take my son's body, go out of here and come back with him alive or never come back again. You know, after yeah. re- after making that connection again between the two of them, after that discussion with Vanessa back in episode seven, where he decided to put his life on the line or his beliefs on the line that he was going to be spurned by his family go back to them be welcomed back in with open arms from his wife and then to be shunned because he's not willing to put his son through the pain he's been through he's not willing to turn his son into this monster that he knows he was um it's a really sad moment uh knowing that he's now going to be going back out effectively wandering as the monster that he is um i, I love this on a number of different levels i think one is the immediate thing the heartbreak that the person who actually accepted him back he he has to turn away from marjorie because she gives him the ultimatum of go now mm-hmm. and bring him back alive or turn from this house um you know she she's trying to you know he doesn't connect in with her viewpoint where she says you know you see a monster in yourself but i see my husband yeah. um you know he has gone through it. He doesn't want his dead son, Jack, to to also go through that, even though Marjorie would love this resurrection of her son by Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You know, bring him back so that I can love him. You absolutely understand that in that moment. Absolutely. Um, and John Clare has to make the decision uh, of, at the moment of acceptance, he knows that 
his son's immortality lies in his soul transcending mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. and yeah. going to God. Um, that his memories, uh, his, his spirit remains, and I think that comes to um, you know the the eulogy that he does for uh, that the narration of, of John Clare's eulogy for Vanessa as he's watching from afar. Yeah. It's that in death that you live on through your soul. It's this idea of pre-existence mm-hmm. that the soul was there before the body, and I like then on another level how that actually contrasts with. And the other immortal of Dorian, who sees his immortality in him being still there in physical form. And actually, it's the death of his emotions and his soul yeah. uh, that he he wants to do. So I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was the other part of my, of my final point. The ends of the immortals is Lily returning to Dorian, which in a way was a kind of a surprise um, because... I don't know what her intention is other than to show him that she's still alive. His plan didn't work. I don't think she's there to team back up with him again. No. Um, but we do hear his description of the wicked secret of the immortals, effectively. Yeah. This idea that um, whatever you love will die and only you will stand there alone, never age, never tire, alone. Um, it's a really interesting idea, I suppose, from Dorian. It's this... Um, the thing that he's lived through, you know, we, we actually know now, I think after, after this episode was finished, I was reading some other stuff about the creation of the character Dorian and I'd always questioned how old he was. Um, you know, I'd always wondered whether like in the book, is he 20 or 30 years, uh, alive longer than he should be? Um, well, actually the, the creation of this character, they, they have said he's over 200 years old. He's, he's gone around for centuries. You know, he, he talks in this speech to Lily about seeing many revolutions over the years. Um, so, the character has lived for a long enough time that he has got this experience and this is how he's developed this idea of surrounding himself with nothing other than things that entertain him because he if you fall in love with anything it goes he describes to lily if you have a child you bear a child it will grow into a crone and die while you still stand looking exactly the same being exactly the same until you're just an emotionless painting of oneself effectively so um it's a really interesting um and scary kind of perspective that Dorian has here, you know. Yeah. Um, I've talked before about my love of, of Anne Rice's novels, about those type of immortal vampires, and that's her perspective that she comes with in these books is having these unchanging beings living through centuries. It's a great way of telling history, historical stories in a, a fiction way, yeah. a horror story way. That's the way she has them going through centuries, and eventually they need someone else by their side. And what often happens with her characters is they choose the person to be by their side after spending a few months or a few years with them. And then they have to spend eternity with someone that they've only known for a very small fraction of that eternity and how that changes their relationship. So Dorian's perspective is an interesting one that's borne out within Anne Rice's version of Immortals as well. It's something, you know, how can you judge eternity at the beginning of it is, is kind of the concept. So he's trying to impart to Lily, you will change you won't be as passionate about everything as you are right now. And when you lose that passion almost, come back and find me. I'll be waiting for you and we can continue together and I'll teach you in the ways of being a passionless immortal because losing your passion and losing love isn't a massive price to pay for being eternal and yeah. being immortal. Like it's such, it's such an interesting idea and you can see that Lily will not accept that. No, I, I think this is 
really good. I mean, you know, Dorian, what an obnoxious character, mm-hmm. but in that wicked secret that he, as you say, imparts to Lily, uh, I, th- I think the, that idea absolutely gives the context of, of Dorian, you mm-hmm. know, for him, immortality is maintained through the physical presence, actually the sub, the subversion of your own emotions and soul in, in you know, as it would be described, I think in Penny Dreadful. Mm. Um, whereas for um, Lily at this moment, and also for John Clare, even though they're immortal, it's that they are trying to, because they have been created with no emotion, that's what they're looking to recapture. Yeah. And in doing that, all the emotion for good or for worse in those in their both their cases relatively negative mm-hmm. is what has forged them and led them to cherish when they do have something absolutely whereas dorian has come from a part where he has transformed into a mortal from being alive mm-hmm. through the painting yeah. where it's kept him at that same age um yeah i, th- I think lily has that a great moment where she says one day you realize that you are like them looking at the paintings Mm -hmm. beautiful but dead um and he goes a small price to pay for immortal perfection yeah Uh, you know so him it is about physical perfection oh he's so um, with no (laughs) no emotion or spirit um for the other two they want to recapture that spirit because they're actually born just physical shells reanimated by victor yeah um and that's the difference where they're coming at it from i I find it was really really well done absolutely he's so so self-absorbed john can you remember how you described dorian at the end of this episode because we talked about it after watching the episode yesterday how did you describe Dorian uh, to everybody? It was something like uh, an immortal member of the Towie cast or the Jersey Shore cast. Yes, it was. He is, <laughs> yeah, he is like um, someone from Towie mm-hmm. uh, or... Um, the Only Way is Essex. The Only Way is Essex yeah. or, you know, just the these Island beautiful people <laughs> that just seem so sterile oh. and vapid. Yeah. And I'm sure they're not in real life, but just the way the show is done, you're just like, oh... Or Geordie Shores yep. or Jersey Shores, you know, it's just like the the it's they are Dorian, the, or they're portrayed as Dorian, yeah. like this, and it's, it's like it's everything. entertain me, and if you don't entertain me, I don't want to be anywhere around yeah. you, and I could just move on and find somebody else to entertain. It's always me, yeah. me, 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 and exactly. it's like it, it's, <laughs> and I'm you know, it's just the way it it's done. It's just pure vapidness. Yeah. Um, it does sometimes feel, considering how long that show's been on air, it does feel like they are all eternals and they are the last people that should be granted oh, yeah. eternity yeah. <laughs> uh, john that, that was my that was my notes just about the ends of the immortals because i do think their stories do come to an end and a really good um, one i really enjoyed it it is a really good one not a happy one for any of those characters no. either and i thought i don't know I, I somehow felt there might have been a happier ending for one or other of them lily does walk out and we don't know where she's gone john claire takes his son's body, puts it into the Thames and allows it to fall, uh, to, to, to be buried effectively at sea, like he would have been as a, as a former sailor, yeah. which I thought was a nice, a nice little connection for him as a character. But we don't have any idea of where their future is going for either of those two characters. Um, 
Dorian just says he will always be there. He will be in exactly the same place doing whatever he wants to for the rest of his life. That's it. That's that's his his plan. He will live out being an immortal douchebag. Exactly. Sure. Uh, but no happy ending for any of them. No. Which I thought was an interesting touch. I know this show itself is not a happy show. It's not a, a show that's going to end off with a marriage or a wedding and kids kind of thing. We saw that in season two with uh, the vision of the possible future for Vanessa and Ethan that was uh, given to her and knew that it couldn't end with a happy ending for any of the characters. But I thought it was an interesting way of uh, of closing out the show and it fitted, uh, I suppose, the show that we've watched. Absolutely. And yet, I think certainly for the non-immortals, for Sir Malcolm, for um, for Ethan and Ketney um, uh, and, and the others, the, the, there's an element of hope there. I mean, I think Ethan is really great in his own kind of solace and despair where he's in Vanessa's bedroom and, and they're grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like when he's joined by Sir Malcolm um, and he says, will you stay, Ethan? And you're my family now. You know, him, Kertney and uh, Sir Malcolm. Yeah. Uh, it's really nice. And, and you have uh, Sir Malcolm talking about, you know, she was the last link to who I was, uh, Vanessa. I must now find out who I will be. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a point when I was, when we were all top podcasting, uh, earlier on in the season. And I, I think it was when, um, Sir Malcolm's wife got, got, got killed or, or killed herself. And I was asking the question, is there anybody still alive that Malcolm has been around? And you, your answer was Vanessa. He's the only, is the only yeah. person that was still alive at the time. And now he's taken on board Ethan as his son effectively. So, there is one one other person that is alive, but everybody else that he's been in contact with. So while we say the story of the show is about Vanessa, uh, the Scorpion and her storyline, yeah, yeah. it's actually about all the people that Sir Malcolm got killed. <laughs> kind of the, well, the absolutely. And but within that, there is a hopeful that mm. they are celebrating and mourning the life of Vanessa. But from that, from that ash, I mm-hmm. suppose, um, you have this new family. Uh, for Sir Malcolm and for Ethan, mm-hmm. um, with him and Ethan and Ketney. I, I thought, found that very kind of uplifting. Um, it, I think the immortals are the ones that they're having that, that curse of yeah. being immortal and how you deal with being persistent. Absolutely. And let's not forget though. To step out of the individual characters let's not forget vanessa did save the world <laughs> so when she died uh the fog lifted over london the the sun came back out and everybody is now able to return to their old lives so outside of our characters there is a big positive ending which is the world is safe <laughs> yes, and not exactly killed. So there is another positive and i think as well with john clare um with him burying or putting out to the river thames and to see his mm-hmm. son not going back to his um his wife effectively sacrificing that happiness mm-hmm. that it's also the eulogy um that he gives for vanessa here uh the the narration um from him mm-hmm. uh it's about that in death if you believe in souls um mm-hmm. then they they still remain. There's been talk of people's souls within the memories of them from other people and, and all this. And so, I mean, it's interesting, the poem that he's reciting here uh, during uh, Vanessa's uh, burial is William Wordsworth's ode um, in intimations of immortality from recollections of early childhood. Link, You know, I suppose linking to both his son Jack, but mm-hmm. also um, the immortality 
of and the exploration of immortality. Um, so like it, it's kind of in three different movements. Uh, the first is being death and loss of youth and innocence. Right. So effectively, like his son, mm-hmm. but at the same time followed by the loss of divine. Um, as as we age, I suppose ultimately becoming skeptical about all of this, you know, mm-hmm. the experience, the weariness of time, going, oh, it'll never change, yeah. or it, it th- there's all this these words that we've listened to, but it's a hard graft, it's a hard life, and finally the hope that this memory of uh, spirituality allows us to sympathize or, or stay connected with our fellow humans, right. you know, that return of conviction. Um, it's that immor- immortality um, through the soul as opposed to Dorian's one, which is you just persist yeah. um, and are detached and it's the only way to survive. So mm-hmm. in a sense that there is still his son and Vanessa still live on mm-hmm. in the memory of others and through their soul. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's again, a hopefulish ending. And yeah. I think a lot of fans of, uh, of Gothic writings and Victorian writings, this would be a massively hopeful closer to the series as well, because there's always a darkness within this storyline and to end it, as I say, with you know, marriage and kids uh, for the end of the third season would have felt disingenuous to the show. And I think they did a reasonably good job to, to close out the season. Well, a very good job to close out the season. Um, any notes for the episode that we haven't discussed? I think I've, I've talked about everything that I think I wanted to talk yep, about. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that just leaves. What did you think of Penny Dreadful? Season three as a whole, we started our discussions of season three with the elephant in the room, which was that this is the, um, controversial season of Penny Dreadful. A lot of viewers who would have considered themselves fans of Penny Dreadful don't like the way the show ended and don't like that the show did end at the end of season three. So overall, what did you think of of season three of Penny Dreadful? For season three, I I certainly like it more than I remembered liking it. I actually think there were a lot of things in here that I really, really uh, enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think... Ultimately, I, I would give this a very strong four, four and a half juicy, uh, end of days frogs, uh, <laughs> legs out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Ethan's story being sort of so, um, explored in this. And I think that really meant that Kertney as a new introduction really got a fair hearing or yeah. airing in, in the show and um, and i think that because of that it, it kind of just the the difference between hi, how his character and his how he was interlinked within this story so well it contrasted with katrina and with dr jekyll yep. katrina was introduced and she served her purpose in discussing things with with uh vanessa I think it was also maybe because Mr. Lyle or the actor couldn't stay in season three for maybe, whatever yeah. reason, or yeah. the commitments maybe. Um, that is what it felt like. Yeah. yeah. But I, if it had gone on for a season four, I'd love to have seen Katrina still there. I thought mm-hmm. she, the time that she had, it was good. Um, and because it wasn't a character that you had a preconception of, mm-hmm. um, that was fine. Any little bit of new information w- was good. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I wonder if with Katrina, because she was only introduced for the last few episodes of the show, if she had been someone from history, would that have actually added to the character a bit more? 
um, because I do feel she was quite perfunctory. Um, I think my notes about her is, is very much that she was a bit superfluous. She came in to give some pieces of information that Mr. Lyle could have delivered. And I think the she was a very broad character. The only thing you know about her is that she's a kick-ass fighter and that she stood up in Victorian society to, to uh, the control of men, which means that she does align very well with our major female characters in the show from Lily and, and Vanessa. She aligns very closely to those type of people and would absolutely be in their circles. So you wonder why she wasn't a season ago or two seasons yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, all the, the knowledge could have been given by Mr. Lyle, I mm-hmm. think. He, I think what would have been great is if it was Mr. Lyle and Katrina, mm-hmm. both of them. It would have been uh, really, really good to see. Yeah. But uh, for me, I still think the biggest letdown was Dr. Jekyll uh, because yes. I actually loved how Dr. Jekyll was portrayed here. Um, but as I said in the last episode, for me... I just wish he had been brought in. A character of that weight was, I feel, is more superfluous than Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it, if it, she had been from a, a literary um, uh, inspiration, then yes, it would have added to her. But because she's not, mm-hmm. what they did add to her added something. I suppose, yeah. Whereas with Dr. Jekyll, you know there's so much more there mm-hmm. and it's not being explored in a John Logan way. Yeah. And... Ultimately, for me, this was the biggest superfluous um, element. It was, oh, how do we get Lily? How do we drive Lily's story? It worked for me, absolutely. But because he was such a big character, I wish he had been brought in in season one Mm -hmm. or even earlier on in season two. Um, And because he could have just matured and brewed and you would have gotten that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde moment, even if it was just other types of murders that had happened under the hands of Mr. Hyde. Exactly. And it didn't fit with the Ethan's murders or, you know, the Jack the Ripper thing or whatever. To me, this was the the biggest issue for me. I I think as well, it was a little bit more disjointed, certainly earlier on. um, I think up till about episode five, because they were really introducing it, it was very separated out and and i i kind of in that moment i was missing all of them being at sam alcom's house fighting and and so on but i also got to that i didn't mind so much but i just think it was really good season i thought Mm -hmm. it ended well i thought you have um a blade of grass which was a great great episode in terms of the flashback and i think the moments we had with only three of the actors as well like it's so good to have and i think ethan's story and certainly back at his father's estate Mm -hmm. it was just really really well done i think um and i think the choice that vanessa sacrifices herself that that's how the the wolf and the scorpion come together is really nice and even with dorian and lily i think that works well you know creepy justine as well uh, ultimately ends up being a little bit of a hero of mine standing yeah. up to Dorian in the way she does but how Dorian experiences uh, and feels immortality should um should be burdened or carried uh, compared to John Clare's and ultimately Lily's um is very different i thought that was i th- think that worked really really nicely yeah. um so i i would give this uh, a good solid four uh, juicy end of darkness frog legs out of five um for sure 
I think any of this wrap up potentially can be problematic for for series, you know. But I, I thought be, it was yeah. done really well. And yeah. um, I, I wish maybe Dracula hadn't just gone. It felt like a balloon had just deflated <laughs> and he just like farted off um, somewhere. I kind of like that. I kind of like the oh, okay. Well, there's nothing left here for me. I'm gone. Yeah, <laughs> you're gone. You know, it's like he's been around for thousands of years waiting for this moment that his beloved Amon Ra will return uh, in the personification of Vanessa. You know, we don't know how many times that's happened. The reincarnation thing is is uh, not clear in the show, but um, this is. Amon Tet meeting Amon Ra again, you know, after these many, many centuries I've been waiting for her to return. Well, if there's nothing there for him to wait for, she's won, effectively. Vanessa has won. That's, that's the, that is the end of the prophecy. It's the end of, of the, of the idea. So off he goes. You know, why, why stay around and kill these people? Yeah. They don't matter anyway. So uh, off he goes. I thought that was quite an interesting choice. Um, similar to yourself, I really did enjoy season three much more than I remembered. And I think just sticking to knowing that it was, the the final season for the show, knowing it was nine episodes and knowing that they were going to tell an end of the story this time, as opposed to the way normally you watch a show, which is, well, I know they say that it, this is the final season, but if they get another one, they have some storylines to pick up and take on yeah. to the fourth season, because that's how I felt watching it first time. I wasn't too disappointed in the treatment of Dr. Jekyll the first time I watched it because I kept thinking, oh, well, okay, he's not developed in these first couple of episodes. He's a friend of Victor. They're holding him for season four, but... Well, they weren't holding it for season four because they ended the show knowing that it was going to end at the end of season three. Everything wrapped up. So there were so many little things they could have done to fix the storyline. Like you kind of mentioned it, but why didn't we have moments where he was t changing into Mr. Hyde, yeah, killing people, exactly. waking up in the morning and going, I need to cure this. And if I push Victor enough on his path to curing Lily of the anger, then I can cure myself of this side of myself yeah exactly why wasn't there moments of that it, it they, they absolutely could have filmed just a few scenes of that would have just sorted out the story if they only had one season that they wanted to use bringing him in and having in the big reveal at the end of the show is that well now he can change his name from dr jekyll to lord hyde well that's not what you know him for you don't know that he can just change his name you know that he changes from a respectable doctor to a beast that kills things that you know yeah. a beast of evil you know that's what you know so why didn't you use a bit of that in the season it, it felt like that felt a bit more disappointing seeing this time uh, dr seward as well loved the character i thought the having patty lapone back in the show and having her on screen with vanessa so really often good, was yeah. great but a lot of the time she ended off being a sounding board or a mechanism for Vanessa's story rather than a character on her own. You know, you felt like there was only little touches of what you got from that character and it felt a little bit superfluous, as, as we've mentioned before. But overall, the story came to a pretty natural end for all of the characters. Um, I think everybody's story ended the way it should have ended. There's nobody I'm disappointed with. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so overall, it's more, uh, as I said, when we were talking at the beginning of this episode, um, Overall, I felt the choice here is either do you want to see these characters continue for 10 seasons or do you want the show to end with a good ending for all of the characters that you've watched? And I think that's probably going to be how you how I'd rate the show. I'm really happy when a show ends with a good ending. Watchmen will be a really good example, a 10 episode show that ended with a really good ending. I don't want to see a season two of that show because season one was so good. Yeah. Um, Penny Dreadful is the same. These characters, I feel, have come to a really good end. And Penny Dreadful City of Angels is not connected to it. 
Although, watching it this time, I was wondering, will we have Dorian Gray sitting in an apartment in LA going, I'm still here, waiting, you know, is that the, the final scene of, of It'd be the final awesome. episode? I mean, just for a laugh. Not know? that he's a character, but yeah. almost just him walking somewhere on the sidewalk mm-hmm. in Hollywood. I'm still here. Like, maybe <laughs> with the, you know, we know there's going to be protests and mm-hmm. stuff like that, whether it's from the Mexican community or there's also the far right. Mm-hmm movement in in america that at one of those gatherings or protests or whatever that there is dorian gray ignoring it because he's seen it all before by just walking along the sidewalk or something yeah or lily is a part of it maybe a part of one of the protests that would be quite interesting too because she may go on and continue doing her protesting uh, throughout history that might be her, her lead-in. Um, but there won't be a connection to uh, City of Angels. The story of Penny Dreadful actually does continue in comics. Um, one of the executive producers of the show, Chris King, did take on the story and did continue it on in comic books as a comic series called Penny Dreadful Aftermath, effectively, which takes place almost immediately after the end of season three. I've read the first volume of, of the story um, and effectively it kind of is about six months uh, after is where the story itself, the main body of the story takes place. And it does bring in uh, one of the other universal monsters, which I think is a good idea. They bring in, uh, they bring in the mummy, um, yeah. which is, which is an interesting idea. Have a read of it. Um, after getting to the end of season three now, this time, uh, and seeing the end of all the characters, I do feel it's a little less necessary than I probably thought it was going to be when I was originally watching the show. Uh, I was expecting more answers and more things that it may need to wrap up. But having gotten to the end of the series, I don't think there's a need to continue the story of these characters. But if you're looking for more story, it's it's written by somebody that was involved in the show and was on set every single day of the three seasons of the show. So he knows these characters really well. So, um, so check it out uh, if you want to get any more information and any more adventures with yeah absolutely ethan and malcolm and victor and uh and katrina and uh, dr seward's in there and everybody's everybody's in there so um to check it out and and mr lyle comes back reasonably quickly so. Ex- exactly so he's in the comics which well. is always good exactly i think certainly for season three missed mr lyle for sure mr lyle, yes Thank you so much for joining us for all of our discussions about Penny Dreadful. Wow, what a number of episodes we've done uh, this season. We will be coming up to our 500th episode of of TV Podcast Industries in just a couple of months' time, uh, just after the end of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. After doing 27 episodes of the Penny Dreadful podcast, I'm actually not surprised we're coming up on 500 episodes after uh, after six years of podcasting. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> but thanks so much for joining us for all of our discussions. I'm glad you've been, been enjoying them. I hope you've been enjoying them as much as we've been enjoying them. Stay subscribed to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. We would love to hear from you on any thoughts you have about all of Penny Dreadful. Uh, email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Join us over on Twitter at tvpodindustries. Or you can join us over on uh, Instagram at tvpodcastindustries as well. Or come and join us on our Facebook group. Great Facebook group's a bit of fun. There's lots of stuff going on yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And pop over to facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. Thanks so much for joining us. John, take us out. Yes, fellow Darklings, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as Derek said, uh, please stay subscribed to the podcast. But remember, we will be back very, very, very shortly uh, with our thoughts on Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Episode 1, Santa Muerte. Uh, it airs on Showtime on Sunday, April 26th. And uh, we will be coming with our podcast, uh, our dreadful podcast about City of Angels, uh, the Penny Dreadful Part 4, um, 
soon after, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. So cannot wait uh, to uh, speak to you then, because as always, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, fellow Darklings and fellow industrialists and fellow podcast listeners. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep screaming. Bye. Bye.